Soul Sadness Podcast. I'm your host, Q Lynn Green. Back another episode, y'all. I just came back from tour, so uh, the little gap in between for the past few weeks, I've been on tour. So a uh, 30-city tour, we knocked it out. A little bit over a month and a half, I've been on the road. But we back again with another, we got a special guest. I know I say that every episode, but this guest right here, I've been looking forward to this for a while now. I've been wanting to talk. She's a singer, songwriter. We have, she's amazing. She's on season 19 of The Voice. She's also on a Black Lady Sketch Show that was on HBO. Just a, a list of credits. I, I just can't wait to talk to her, but y'all give it up right now for Miss Tamara J. Oh, thank you so much. Well, wait, what do you do? What were you doing on tour? This? I was an MD, no, music director for an Australian artist, a uh, rock artist. I was on stuff. Yeah, it was fun. We did a little little theater tour. It was pretty cool. What do you play? I play the drums. I play the keys. I play anything that pays great. <laughs> well, which one were you doing on tour? Or were you just I was playing the drums. I was, well, playing the drums and also uh, playing on the 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 vamp keys for the the keyboardist i was the second keyboardist as well but yeah we would switch in and out i would bring bring a couple musicians on while we were on the road so yeah that's dope okay well congratulations welcome back <laughs> <laughs> right yeah it was great the the the, the per diems everything was great i loved it <laughs> but listen I always, I always love it when, when the, the, the check clears, everything goes great. It's like, all right, I'm here. We, we're working. But I, was, I just uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've been waiting to talk to you for a while. And it was like, I know everything was rough with the active strike, with the SAG and all that WGA strike and all that stuff that was going on. But I was like, I would talk to her real quick before y'all start back to working because I know y'all be busy. It's hard to book y'all on. So <laughs> it's y'all schedule. But thank you for coming on the So Savage podcast. Thanks for having me. Okay, so how we start this I start this segment on every episode. It's called uh, just to get a background of all the, the uh, I talk to so many different people, but I love having musical oriented guests on and it's a segment called uh, the musical genesis. Well, I basically just get to the beginning of the story. Kind of blasphemous. I just make that clear to the audience. If they, <laughs> that's just, it just, it sounds cool to me. So I just stick with it. Musical Genesis, get to the beginning. And I usually, uh, I, I know you, you're, uh, you did, ten, you uh, experienced in opera 10 years. And I want to get into all of that, like uh, experience in opera. Uh, you went to school for jazz and, and college. I want to get in, I want to get into all that, but. The beginning, I want to know, what was your first introduction into music? Okay, so yeah, the genesis would be my family and church. So my mom was the music director of my church for like 25 years. Um, I am the baby of my family. I have older brothers. So like, I kind of just fell in line. Like I was born into like, everybody was already playing instruments and singing. 
And naturally, you know, you got three kids in the household. So you got soprano, alto, tenor right there. Um, so we were kind of like a little singing group. Um, we would like sing at church together, sing in the house, family function, you know, like Thanksgiving. Y'all get up and sing, sing, sing for the family, you know, that type of stuff. Um, we had a song we would sing to my mom every Mother's Day. And for her birthday, we would change the the words of, um, what is it? Lord, you are more precious than silver. We would say, mommy, you are more precious than silver. And like do the whole song, but like switch out Lord for mommy. Um, but like in harmony and stuff like that, you know. So that was kind of my start. And my mom is classically trained. She went to Duke Ellington um, High School for the Performing Arts in DC, in Washington, DC. Very historic and um, prestigious program that a lot of amazing entertainers have come through. Um, and then my brother went to Baltimore School for the Arts up the road um, and studied voice and then went to Berkeley College of Music and did music business and management. So um, it really wasn't it was kind of a no-brainer that if I wanted to do music or if I wanted to take it seriously, like there was avenues for me to do that. And I think the first like serious professional gig that I had was this group called um, this children's choir, community choir called Children Children of the Gospel. And it is a, a subsidiary or one of the groups under Washington Performing Arts Society in DC. They're still very active in the community. And it's a community-based choir with kids from like, I think as early as third grade or fourth grade or something like that, um, mm -hmm. to 12th grade. And we do a concert every year or did because I'm not a kid anymore, but I'm always a Church of the Gospel kid for life, but a concert every year at the Kennedy Center. So like at eight years old, I sang at the Kennedy Center for the first time um, with the choir. The guests, the guest artists were Yolanda Adams, Donnie McClurkin, and Jennifer Holiday, I think, or something like that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Wow. So it was like if I was like eight or nine, if I was eight, that was like late 90s into the early 2000s. Okay. So, yeah, that was kind of my entry point, um, mostly gospel music, but also like classically trained gospel music. So like not okay. necessarily like Kojic. My mom was pretty, because she was classically trained, she tended to um, gravitate more towards uh, the Richard Smallwoods that had orchestras and stuff like that. And we were in the metropolitan area, so of course we're gonna go up for Richard Smallwood. And he was doing like his live recordings in DC at like the big churches. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, my origins are definitely in church, but kind of like the more classically trained artists like Richard Smallwood, Donna McClurkin, Kurt Carr, Donald Lawrence, um, like the storytellers of gospel music. And I grew up singing like power ballads. Like, <laughs> I don't, I'm trying to think of an example. My mom really had me singing pop power ballads in church. So I remember singing from a distance, like Bette Midler from a distance. Right, right, right. Like as a grown up, I'm like, this song is not a Christian not song, but because it said God is watching us. Like we got away with right. it. Yeah, so that's that's my non village non villain origin story, singer or artist origin. Story. <laughs> non villain. <laughs> oh, and another funny. actually, I have to I have to mention is my entry into like musical theater and just like music on television for real was getting my hair braided. So of course we watched like Sister Act and everything in the house as it came out with my brothers and like the family movies. But my mom and I had a very tumultuous time with my hair at an early age. 
And instead of spending the time fighting about it, she used her mommy powers, her black women mommy powers, and found a young lady at church who I, you know, loved hanging out with and looked up to and who braided hair and could braid hair. And she would pay her to braid my hair. And it would, um, she was so patient and understood that like getting your hair done hurts. Like it's, I'm not being dramatic, like this hurts, right? So like mm -hmm. she would lighten the experience by putting on musicals. She knew I was a musical kid. She knew I loved to sing and I was a kid. So that's the first place that I saw Annie, um, The Wiz, um, because my household is an American. So any American cinema like came from other people, <laughs> for real, for real. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like the origin story. I had to make sure I mentioned that too, to, to make it well-rounded. Right. What denomination did you grow up in in church? So that is a very interesting question. The denomination is called Wesleyan. Um, okay. I, you probably never heard of it and no need to even do any research, but <laughs> it's just oh, wow. in teaching. It has a lot of like political style stylings around the way that it's structured. You vote on the boards, you vote on things. There's like a lot of structures in place, which can be good. But admittedly, from my experience and my home church and my family's experience, it is a mostly white denomination and they have some very patriarchal practices that okay. we away from. Oh, so y'all didn't differ to anything else? Like growing up, it was like, oh, we're going to go to Kojic or Baptist. It was just that. Well, it wasn't that like we were dedicated to that. So basically that church, particularly our home church assembly was mostly Caribbean and African. And the Wesleyan, okay. church, the Wesleyan church um, did mission work in the Caribbean. So it was familiar for people in the Caribbean when they immigrated to the United States to look for that type of church. And then most immigrants are going to gravitate to anybody they know to their community so anytime people come it's like hey come to church come to church come to church we really weren't that the doctrine part of it wasn't that serious we were christian like we care about that we okay. visited other churches like i was very familiar with baptist churches um there was a seventh day adventist church across the street like you know it wasn't um isolated or strict or anything that's just the name of the denomination and frankly i don't know it's just white they they're based off the teachings of John Wesley. They don't like a whole okay. lot of noise, you know that sort of stuff. But my local church assembly, what is not at all a microcosm of what the Wesleyan Church is. They used to call us to bring the sauce. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. No, I was just asking. Well, I I study other religions, so I would just I probably randomly look that up just to just to get a you know understanding of what it is. Not saying I'm a practice it or anything like that, but just to understand. Oh, you know, it's, it's different shit. Yeah. White Christian. That's interesting. So you go Caribbean. That was, I, I'm always interested in that. It's like, because um, I grew up Baptist. So it was like, we, it was country black. That's that's how I grew up. It was uh, most of the preachers that, <laughs> that came, they had slick back perms and had an outline go to and oh. uh, double breasted suits, that kind of country church. That's where I come from. So okay. yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's super. Yeah, they say they say stuff like I woke up with my white mind. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know. 
I guess I, I wake up in my wrong mind, but yeah. Right. There's been a couple days I woke up in my wrong mind. Okay. So I think I do that on a regular. So I was okay. like, what does that mean? <laughs> they just say stuff that it, it always it's church lingo that I only heard in the Baptist church. It's like the highways and byways. I don't know what a byway is. I still don't know to this day what a byway is. I always wonder, like maybe the byway, you know, when you like on the highway and it'd be like a road that's running parallel on the side, but it's oh, not that may be that's a byway. I don't know. That may be it. <laughs> I never knew. I never understood. It took me a while to understand because the devotionals and stuff like that. I didn't even understand what they was like. God me over, great Jehovah. I, I didn't know they was repeating that. I thought they was just moaning, just making noises. Ah, they were just saying a whole bunch of stuff. I didn't understand when I was in church, but I figured it out now. But but yeah, we got there. We got there. Baptist, Baptist is a good time. It's it's interesting. They all got the same setup. It's like they they'll they'll do a thing, and then when you're a musician, you gotta sit. Like, is he gonna start preaching? Because sometimes they get straight to the tune up, and it's like, okay, I'm gonna cue you up in D flat. It's like you can't go to the fellowship hall yet. You gotta stay at the piano or organ just just in case. Because they get excited and then they'll get get into the message and then they go straight to the whoop and it's like all right I'm gonna get with you but uh, <laughs> so uh, so did you sing all throughout when you were in school like were you in a school choir or I know you said you were uh, you you explained with your your mother being uh, going to school and all that stuff uh, did you follow that throughout? What, what was that age for you where it was like you knew you could sing and it was like you were developing that skill? Uh, six. Yeah, six was the first time like I knew that people were looking at me different. Like when I sang, they were looking like, hmm, that's actually, and they would say like, that's actually good and be a little, you know, taken aback. And so, you know, my parents, my, my mom really, um, started spoon feeding me stuff. And I think with kids, you can always tell if, if they are going to, if they're connected to something deeper than just like they like it, if they don't mind working through their frustration for it. Mm. And I remember as a kid, like sitting at the piano or working through vocal, you know, a song or something like that, I did not mind doing that for hours and hours and hours and hours. It wasn't one of those things where I was like, oh, can I go out and play? It was like, we here till it's done and I'm okay with that. So, I mean, as early as six, um, six to eight around there, I remember like being serious, being excited to go to choir rehearsal. Um, I did sing in choirs. The thing was, it's interesting. So my parents, grew up when they came they both grew up on the american side in washington dc proper but you have to remember there was a very large crack epidemic in the 90s for black a lot of black cities and my parents were like, we are not raising our kids in dc proper so even though they grew up in dc or my mom grew up in dc proper my dad lived in dc proper as an adult they raised us in maryland and they raised us specifically in Bowie, maryland which is kind of like on the more affluent side. So the racial makeup is very mixed. Um, mm -hmm. But even beyond that, the teachers, the staff at my school was mostly white um, for elementary mm -hmm. school. So I, there wasn't really a choir situation. I do remember like being in like the Three Piggy Opera when I was in like kindergarten. And I remember being in like the talent shows, auditioning and getting into the talent shows. 
But Children of the Gospel was really like the choir, like the community choir where I could do that regularly. And then in middle school, I was the girl who could sing. There was no choir really. That There was a choir in middle school, but I was kind of a guinea pig for my, my middle school. I went to two middle schools. So the second middle school was like that particular year, our county had built new, new middle schools and new high schools. So the zonings changed and you got to decide if you wanted to stay at your current middle school or go to the new one. Well, our parents is like, girl, you don't have no choice. You're going to the new school. Are you kidding me? You're not going to stay at this old school with a brand new one over here that's closer. And so everything was new. And so there wasn't really, everything was being established. So I can't say that there was like a strong program for me to get into. Yes, I was in the choir, but because I was the girl who could sing, I quickly became the girl who they just called. I was gigging. It was like anytime there was an assembly, eighth grade graduation, I sang at my eighth grade graduation. Like I was always like called to sing at events. And it was actually that principal. I hope she's still alive. I don't know where she is. Dr. Marion Whitehead, Whitehood. I will never forget that woman. She's my first black principal. Um, she introduced me to my high school, which there's three basically. Well, there's more now, but at that time there was only three performing arts programs in the DC metropolitan area, the one my mom went to, Duke Ellington, the one my brother went to, Baltimore School for the Arts, and then the one I went to, which is Suitland High School. And the difference between my high school and the ones that my brother and mother went to is their schools are performing arts schools. So it's almost like academics are on the side. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. The skill of arts. And yes, we value academics and we take them seriously, but right. they were getting like hard at in high school missing class mm-hmm. on the out singing at professional gigs my school is a regular hood very low performing high school that oh, has, okay. has magnet programs in it so okay. that was my introduction to the hood like my parents did all this to keep us out the hood only for me to choose to go right? <laughs> and i loved it that so you know, high school choir, yes, but that was chamber chorus and and choir choir where we're reading scores, we're learning music, we're singing in other languages. And to be honest, I had I had two different choir program directors, one of which amazing, she introduced me to my college and I will always speak highly of her. The second one, a little bit of a different experience, not bad, but his mission I felt like was to come in and teach the little black kids white music, like make Mm. the little black kids more cultured. And again, Mm. I wasn't from the hood. I got bust in from the suburbs to the hood. So I didn't come cultureless. And I, you know, in Mm. retrospect, I still resent that. I still resent that mentality that anybody needed to come in and save us or change us. So that being Mm. said, he was more like, oh, well, y'all want to do gospel, you could go do it. So he made me the gospel choir director for like my last two years. So I really didn't have the opportunity to like be mentored or coached in high school for black music. I had to just do it if I wanted to do it. Actually, my best friend and I wrote our, rewrote our school song that they currently still sing um, because it was apparently back in the day, my school was white. Didn't know that. (laughs) It's not no more. You know, and so this <laughs> right. was written by what sounds like three white men. I don't, I, I know their names. I can find their names. I don't know if they're actually white or not. It sounds like some, some white men name. 
And so we remixed mm-hmm. it to a go-go pocket. So our school song is a go-go song that we wrote about the experience that we were having about that amazing place. And I still speak fondly of it. When I'm a, a bajillionaire, I will happily funnel money into that school and, and improve mm-hmm. the program because it really laid the foundation for me. I, I really wasn't a choir kid. And that probably, in retrospect, that that makes a lot of sense as to why I never like singing in choirs. I've never <laughs> enjoyed choirs. I don't enjoy really? it. Oh, wow. Baby, I hate the bark. I hate, I forgot, I forgot, I forgot, I hate, hate. <laughs> That's the Ricky Diller barking song. <laughs> Just to be clear, I hate the sound, love the spectacle. So every now and again, I'm going to go down there. The vibrato. The vibrato. James Jazzy Hall, Rabbit Hall. Like, <laughs> but I did not grow up in that. I grew up in when. when oh, man. Choirs for me were reading scores, where Richard Smallwood was my soul's been anchored with spiritual, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. all of that. So mm-hmm. that's kind of like my origins as far as like choir and through like yeah, subtle gospel choir songs. I get you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were singing. What was it? I grew up, I was singing choir in the in the nineties, so we was doing a lot of Hezekiah Walker songs, like the hip, like the hip songs, like the ones that you heard on the record. Like it had it went all the way out to church. It was like one foot in, one foot out. It kind of sounded like you could go in the club, but that's what we like. I didn't like, we didn't get into that till, I think that's more Kojic style. We stay with the Baptist style type of, the heathen side of the gospel. We we liked it, but my mom, my mom was bougie. And to her, I think that was mindless. Like it was just yelling and noise. Like it wasn't refined. Like listen, Caribbean people are, they're a little brainwashed. Okay, the closer things are to whiteness, they think it's right. So like right. that wild, untrained, wobbly sound that comes deep from your soul and from an experience. Yeah, wasn't really given respect in my home. It wasn't until I grew up and it was like, like I okay. discovered my favorite. She's still my favorite singer of all time, Karen Clark Sheard. I didn't discover mm-hmm. her until middle school, high school, early high school, middle school. Mm-hmm. And baby, when oh. I heard that voice, that was it. I was like, that is. That's what I want to make people feel how I feel when I hear that voice. I want to cut as clearly as that voice does. I want to be as clean and polished. I mean, her agility, her tone, Mm -hmm. when she's just singing regular, her tone is killing. Like if Mm -hmm. you just make her sing the melody, you're going to feel something. And then she can run all over you up and down and not know Mm -hmm. regular pentatonic run she's going to give you that her twinkie trained her with that ear on that organ yeah then also the range the range Mm -hmm. insane so yeah i was a little late to the to the wild wild gospel party but like i mean i think i grew up with what everybody else grew up with too like when kirk franklin you know for those of you that think that gospel music has gone too far like everybody was Mm -hmm. mad at him but the kids was like right Oh, they didn't like that at all. That that was when, because hip hop in the '90s, it was like, I mean, I know it's commercial and it's as global as it can be, but back then, it was like it was considered you basically had two guns in your hand. That's how the elders looked at hip hop. So it's like playing that anything, yeah, anything that sounded like hip hop was not cool in the church at all. They didn't like us singing that. 
I bet if we could do, could have done like a back to the future back then and been like, okay, okay, but hear me out though. We're going to go to 2023 and I'm going to let you hear something called Pound Town by Sexy Red. And then we're going to come back to 19, we're going to come back to 1996. Oh my God. <laughs> the poetess of Sexy Red. The poetry, the poetry of it all. Right. If you still dislike NWA when you hear 2024 and let me know. Right. Yeah, she she get she giving her she giving her poetic truth. That's what that's what we call it. Is the sex the sexy red poetic truth of yes. yeah, that that's an interesting song. I'ma say that. I love it. I love it. No, you know what's so crazy? I had somebody that shares your name, uh uh from the Shandellas, uh Miss Tam. Uh she said the same thing. She's from I think from the age she said six to eleven, like she was just, oh, that's funny. when it started for her being in church. So, yeah. We follow each other on social media. We haven't met yet, but I'm definitely a fan. I love their music and their. their Man, I gotta watch the the live show. I think they got one coming up. I want to go to. Yeah, the Chandel is dope. But yeah, uh, she said the same thing in terms of that age, which you said starting at six. She said that started for her too. And mm -hmm. so, uh, it's 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 crazy because every time I talk to different singers, it's always the church. Like, of course, the church background. But what you said. Nobody's ever said that before talking about the, the background because I know you're you're experienced in opera, but the things that your your mother taught you just growing up in that, that's that's very unique story. Nobody has said that yet. Okay. <laughs> I guess I guess it's just uh I guess like you said, being the Caribbean and all that that because it's a lot of stuff Americans don't know about uh that culture. They don't they don't know, they're not experienced to it. So I'm glad that you brought that up because it might enlighten. I, I know my listeners; they're very enlightened on stuff like that. So I know they would take heed I mean, to what you said. I don't really even tell y'all. There's some like other Christian artists, more non-denominational. Some white, some black. That I grew up on, like Ron Canoli. He's black, but like mm -hmm. that song. A lot of gospel artists will remix those songs and like blacken them up more. Donna um, mm -hmm. McClurkin did one that really went up. Is Ancient of Days. Every tongue and never manner. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I grew up on songs like that, and they sound very white. Like, clap on the tongue, <laughs> right. every nation. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Nation, like that. But the mm -hmm. lyrical power behind those songs, like, I grew up, here I am to worship. I was singing that at church camp when I was a kid. Like, that was so, mm -hmm. like, Black people were so late to that. <laughs> Like I was listening to like, because again, my denomination was white. So when we were going to camp with them, that's where we were. I'm training. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Like that was camp music. Like it wasn't. That, that's what we were singing. And then at my local assembly, like same like choruses and stuff that y'all was singing, but everything had a reggae beat. Everything had a dance hall beat. So it was, okay. is the day. This right, right, right. Yeah, every day. It's just like, like how they do go-go music. They do the same thing with, with records. It's like the same thing. Every, yeah. Like no Jamaican Jamaican tunes too, like the classic, like the Temptations and all that. It's a lot of reggae versions of those uh soap soap records from the sixties and seventies. Yeah. So that was kind of my like upbringing. It, it, that's that really contributes. I, so I toured with Corey Henry and the Funk Apostles for a few years, and nice. Of, that's where like I, I, my bluff got called because I know how to pretend really well. I know how to mimic sounds, but then mm -hmm. they'd be like, "It's Prince. It's not church." And I'd be like, 
brother, I don't know what that means. It all sounds the same to me. <laughs> if you grew up with that music, you know that it's not the same. Right. But to me, to my untrained ear on American, Black American music, like, mm -hmm. I no, and so like really digging in, like thank God for people like him who are so patient and and just laugh at me when I'm like, wait, what are you saying? Um, that taught me those inner workings a lot more than I knew because I've just been faking it. And and frankly, I wasn't getting hired. I only started getting hired for gospel gigs, like real squall gospel gigs in New York City because I was with my classical friends who couldn't do it. So it was like, well, oh. who can really do it authentically? You know, they were passing gigs off to me, but that was the first time I was doing it. I wasn't singing gospel like that before that. I was not. I literally went to high school and college for opera and picked up opera uh, jazz in college as well. So like the gospel squad, ah, all of that. <laughs> well into my 20s. Oh my goodness. You said, say that again. You squall, do the squall again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So, just because I, I don't want to stay on it too long, I kind of like to stay on the childhood thing because I feel like that's equivalent to like present time with like musicians and singers because it's like certain things with my ear, how I was trained. Like, because back in the day when I, I learned everything about music through church, I did everything backwards. It was like, I was classically in jazz trained, but I didn't understand music till I started playing in church. And it's like, a, it's kind of like jazz with the improv because you could be playing a song that's like four minutes long. And then when you do it in service, it's like 10 minutes long. And it's like, cause the spirit, yeah. the energy of it, you just keep adding on to it. And so the things I learned in church, it like still holds true in terms of me. Cause back in the day I had seventies mentors that, that played in funk bands and stuff. So it was like, they were James Brown style. You got to get this right. Like we were practicing, rehearsing. We learning it the day of. And it's like by the time it's on and it was on cassette tape. It was like they press it, rewind. It's like you better, you better get this before it's over with. And if you stumble, nope, we starting back from the top. And it's like, dang, I just messed one part up. And they're like, nope, we starting right over. And it's like, you going to get it, get it right. But um, in terms of, okay, you have the gift six years old and then you progress grade school middle school when was it for you to where you had it in your head i mean well even before i get to that in terms of singers what what uh growing up who was that singer that did it for you like when you heard him you was like that's singing when you first heard him i mean definitely karen clark sheard i guess that was later so before then definitely kelly price faith evans um I'm trying to remember men, especially, of course, Whitney Houston, uh, Celine Dion. Mm -hmm. I really liked Celine Dion. I used to shed her music like I was a grown ass woman who got my, my heart broken. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, anybody who could really deliver like ballads. But then I also loved their Mariah Carey. I loved Mariah Carey. I also loved, I loved TLC, but not for the singing. <laughs> right, 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 right. I loved TLC because that was my first like real understanding of appreciation for art. Those mm -hmm. women made art that was so accessible to, I mean, I can't speak to men. I know that to women, a lot of women hold TLC like near and dear to their hearts because like mm -hmm. 
even as a kid, I resonated so hard. Like, I don't know why waterfalls meant something, but it just clicked. It just connected. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, it's easily singable. Like, it follows all the, like, formulaic things about a song that make it a good song. But mm -hmm. it reached me, you know, like, it reached me as a kid. And I remember just digging into their albums and, like, going to the dictionary because of words that left, I would say. You know, mm -hmm. like, like, I appreciated that I didn't always understand everything and it gave me motivation to want to understand because they just seemed so cool and they had their own style and they were always so colorful. Um, but again, that was that was the transition to appreciating art. But as far as just like singers go, definitely the Kelly Price, Faith Evans, Mariah Carey, Celine Dion, um, Whitney Houston, of course. Um, Shaka Khan, too. I definitely Ooh. I used to listen to this station called Soft Rock 97.1 Wash FM. It's still a station in the DC area. And it's it was it was more of an eclectic mix. So like you're gonna hear in one hour Michael Bolton, Celine Dion, Elton John, Whitney Houston, Stevie Wonder, mm -hmm. and maybe it's Bruno Mars song. You know, like <laughs> it's gonna be a little bit of everything. So, but it was a lot of power ballads, and I just mm -hmm. I loved the arc. I love the feeling, the roller coaster, roller coaster feeling you get with when a ballad is delivered well. Mm -hmm. It's always a journey. You never, a ballad never starts out loud. It never starts out super powerful. It starts out, even if it's like um, Whitney Houston, I Have Nothing, the intro is mm -hmm. big, bump, 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 Yeah my life like it's about the storytelling so basically like whoever could really just like tell a, a story i was in it even if i didn't understand the story like i was here for the vibes like i'm here for a good time mm -hmm. so um those women i'm trying to think if there were men that i really i love me some michael mcdonald and people like that i love that my is my all-time right there michael mcdonald you yeah, saying my favorite shocker all that oh I, know what who what soul what black man black mother soul resides in that michael mcdonald oh we got something different i love those huskier voices just full robust mm -hmm. that's who i wanted to emulate who i wanted to be i never really liked like mousier sounds i never really liked people with like small voices nothing wrong with that but it wasn't something mm -hmm. I, could, I was like i'm loud like my voice is loud as a kid so mm -hmm. What allowed the gazette? Like, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> right. you you speak. That's that's exactly why I listen to music like that. Like uh, when you mention Whitney, I, I say it all the time. Uh, I think it's her billboards. I think the '93 performance of "I Have Nothing" is oh, a masterclass. The, um, the medley with "I Have Nothing," "I Love You, Porgy," and um, from Dreamgirls, and and I'm telling you, was that that? Yeah. One? Yeah, yeah, that's from Dream Girl, Jennifer Holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how she didn't die after that performance. Oh, you know about Jennifer? <laughs> oh, Whitney. Oh, Whitney. Oh, yeah. No, it's like <clears throat> to me, it's a masterclass because, like you said, she's it's everything about the because the arrangement with song. That's what it's hard for me to listen to certain Whitney uh, renditions because they don't really capture because they're trying to hit the big notes. It's like when you watch that performance. She's just playing with it 
like going into the first verse and even going to the chorus. She's just playing with the with the uh, with the melody, and then when she gets to that point, and after she gets out of the bridge, it's like then she's on. She's ready to hit the notes, but she's just pacing through it. And I was like, she learned that from uh, Miss Dion Ward. That's one of my favorites too. Like watching Dion Ward's performances. Oh, she just her pacing, the timing. It's like she set the precedent. I, I call them the vocal. They're like the Olympic gold track medalists of vocals to me because it's like the, they just stride like it's not a rush. It's like they pacing throughout the song. It's like they taking their time and letting the arrangement build up, like you said, and just taking it to where it's supposed to go. And it was like Luther, Whitney, Dion, they all did that. And they learned from Dion because Dion was like the precedent for that, like yeah. just just soaring through a song. I still do that. I mean, to me, like the gold star for, for that, what you're describing, back phrasing, Gladys Knight. That was yeah, right, 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 right. Her time, and you will wait. Like, uh, neither one of us. I mean, they set in the tone. They, they got the beat straight up, right? But she ain't, it's sad to think. Like, no, you'll wait. Yeah, yeah. You'll wait right. Exactly, exactly. I love, love, love those storytellers. And, um, you know, thank you for asking me these questions. It's actually really, I've been in a place where I've been trying to not redefine, but get focused on who I am as an artist and my sound. And um, I've had to really block out the noise of the business part of it. Like, mm -hmm. I don't make music for Gen Z. I really don't. <laughs> I make music right. for kids. I do. <laughs> <laughs> kids love my music and people my right. age and older love my music and that's okay because the mm -hmm. reality is who spends money people who have kids spend money on their kids and people who are grown spend money right people who don't spend money gen z who don't have it so like <laughs> I'm just really calling to my attention that like that this this is my origin and this is why i live where i live as an artist it's not this thing that's like, if you just listen to me and you'll like it, it's like, no, I do this because it's been done before. You know what I mean? Like, right. like that's why R&B is really making so much um, impact right now. I'm not even gonna say it's making a comeback. It never left, mm -hmm. but its mm -hmm. impact is being reestablished right now because people need storytelling again they want to feel mm -hmm. something again and they want to feel mm -hmm. something other than sadness like we've been sad mm -hmm. for three years like where's the beat bruno come on what you doing? <laughs> right right you know and beyonce gave us a full year to two mm -hmm. year run of of happy music and celebration mm -hmm. and like you know, the tide is changing for like the rhythm to the blues. Like I appreciate the blues. I'm not gonna name no names, um, <laughs> but the, the sad girl era, I call them the sad girls. And, and <laughs> when I'm doing my hair, when I'm braiding my hair, sad girl me down, okay? But when I'm like, when I wanna like, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Even just the feelings of, of love and like I'm, you know, dating again and stuff like that. Not dating anybody in particular, but like opening myself up to dating and going on dates. People ask me and stuff like that. Like no. that feeling is a happy feeling. It's not like a going on dates to find my man. It's not giving <laughs> right. that. It's not giving right. that. It's not giving, giving that. Right, right, right. For me, dark child, like it's giving 
It's time for that again. Right, 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 right. Just a little bit more upbeat. Just a little bit more two and four. You know what I mean? Just a little bit, a little bit of that. I can ballad you down, but I will not give you a ballad about nothing. It's got to be right. about just telling a story. So I, that's why I love country music. I love mm -hmm. country storytelling and country music. Paint me a picture, honey. Paint me a picture. Put me in the movie, honey. I want to be in the movie with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You you you're you're actually transitioning perfectly to only got about I think like four more I well this one just I said three but uh four more childhood questions before we get to your your music and progressing past uh uh childhood stuff but what you just said what was it did you have a plethora of different genres you like listening to or was you like specific with your taste like what did your taste span from very eclectic i mean for, as a kid you, you gotta listen to whatever people play right first yeah and, and remember we didn't we didn't have youtube and all this like instant music you know what right I mean? we had cassette tapes the radio um cds i remember when cds like started <laughs> you know so like mostly whatever so brother right above me loved rap specifically like he loved wu-tang dmx he loved like conscious hard very vulgar, but they were they were talking about stuff. Rap mm -hmm. brother, that is who introduced me to R and B. He was big into like Boys to Men, Brian McKnight, like Teddy Riley, like uh, Drew Hill, like R and B. Um, mm -hmm. Was saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Like I told you, giving very much Richard Smallwood. Um, I was just joking. I still remember like. The living live in London intro. I have a video of it on my Instagram. Like the whole, good evening. You join us at the Fairfield Hall in Croydon. Yeah. Oh, songs that stand speak to my heart. I am from the Prince of Egypt soundtrack. You got the Thoughts of Pearson just joined the Angels, but we oh man, Zusa soundtrack, the Zusa Live at Azusa's um, were big. Yeah, those that so those were where I got introduced to like the Kojic sound. So, yeah, sisters. Oh my God, I remember hearing. I just listened to it the other day because you know, child, when somebody died, we are gonna go listen to their music, honey. I went right. down a Zusa rabbit hole. Went down a Zusa rabbit hole. And I, just, I yeah. still remember the first time I heard LaShawn Pace sing, Is Your All on the Altar. And oh. I remember like, we sung hymns in my church, but we mm -hmm. sung like hymns. Is your all on the altar? Wait, that's not even the melody. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Like if you look at the actual mm -hmm. sheet music for Is Your All on the Altar, mm -hmm. it's six, eight, very country style mm -hmm. hymn. And so hearing that version, I was like, wait a minute. Shut up. Shut up. Right. Over here. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, that marriage was kind of crazy. So um, my mom was deeply into gospel. And then my dad uh, loved soft rock. So like the Elton Johns and all that. Mm. 
so I, like I said, I think I was really eclectic. And then when I, like, I liked the girl stuff. I liked TLC. I love Deborah Cox. Honey, baby, I used to mm. wear out. How did you get here at karaoke? My brother, <laughs> my brother worked at a country Western show at Six Flags. We lived literally like walking distance from Six Flags growing up. And, you know, like there's like the country Western saloons where there's like a show mm -hmm. that happens every, every few hours and you can sit and eat. Mm -hmm. He worked at one of those shows on one of his breaks, like summer breaks from college and sang and danced country, like tight jeans, country mm -hmm. show. And at the end of it, they would have karaoke and anybody could get up and sing. And baby, I was, if my brother was like his first summer home, that was probably eighth grade. I was like seventh or mm -hmm. eighth grade. And I used to be in there wearing out, how did you get here by Deborah Cox in that saloon, honey, in that country saloon. <laughs> so yeah, I was like on the power ballads. And then just the soundtrack of our lives as a family, Caribbean music. Um, Bob Marley is my, I, I don't claim to have any idols, but if I could have, if if it wasn't sacrilege to worship an artist, I would study whatever religion came out of that man, which technically is Rastafarianism, but I'm all good on that because they got a they got a few bum tendencies in that in that religion. Yeah, I, yeah. Rastas, I love y'all, but y'all some bums. <laughs> y'all still and y'all don't shower. At our cookouts. Like, you know how, like, yes, we did the electric slide, but we also have our own line dances, too. Like, there's mm. one called the dollar wine. Um, oh, I know that one. Yeah. Cent, five cent, ten cents. Yeah, ten cents. Yeah. That's what I grew up with. So, like, Barris Hammond is one of my favorite reggae artists of all time. Like, Barris Hammond has some of the most beautiful love songs he has a song called Rockaway, which is probably his most famous song, or at least his most famous song to me. Um, it's just like, remember the songs used to make you rock away. Those were the days. I need to cover that. Anyway, mm. like it's a song about like reminiscing about old school love songs, Stevie Wonder and Patti LaBelle, and he's naming American artists, but it's a reggae song. And like, yeah. I think for me, I've landed, and, and this is probably one of your later questions, I've landed at soul music as my chosen genre as an artist because I feel like soul music encompasses all genres. Like, yeah, I say all the time, soul music is genreless to me. Like, like you mentioned Michael McDonald, like, and even my, my top favorites, like Steve Perry is my favorite top, like if I put a top 10, Steve Perry's in there from Journey. Like, I don't, his voice is, is that for me in terms of like getting, uh, pulling that emotion out of me, I can feel it with his voice. And so it's like artists like that, Michael McDonald, all that, like even Ambrosia, like groups from the eighties that, that, and White Snake too, uh, the lead singer from there. Like, it's like, it, it's genreless. It's yeah. not, the you know. I mean, yeah. well, for so long, like. Oh, for sure, yeah. found out like three years ago that they wasn't black. <laughs> you thought Barry Gibbs was black. You thought they, you thought they, that high pitch. Stand alive. That high pitch falsetto. Stand alive. Gotta be some niggas in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the BG. Yeah. Listen, I, I could go all day on that. But yeah, uh, the, I, I'm trying to wrap this up. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get too long winded with it. But uh, I, I, I'm always curious to ask singers this because uh, musicians and singers were kind of similar, but we. Musicians is weird, man. We be on our own. It be like we be in our own head. Like just to define a musician, it's like 
uh, Dallas Austin was talking about like meeting Michael Jackson and Jimmy Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis is in the room and he like bypassed Michael Jackson to go <laughs> to Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. That's pretty much sums a musician that we don't give a damn about singing. You gotta be a really great singer to catch a musician's thing. But I'm always curious about um, artists in terms of if they connect music like we do. Like we do, like some musicians like uh, we like to play like this uh, connected dot with like following our inspirations, inspiration. And I'm always curious, like, like for instance, uh, like I love D'Angelo and so I'll track it back to like Prince and then Prince goes to Stone, Parliament, Funkadelic. And then it's like, you know, just that whole train of, do y'all do that with uh, like your singer, like go from Whitney to Dion, Aretha, Dinah Washington. And just like, you, you just like in a whole web of following different artists. Do you do that? For sure. Um, actually, so I, I love this this conversation because I like to push back a little bit. I consider myself a musician. I okay. think. So you remember as a kid, you had these Venn diagrams in school where it's like the two mm -hmm. circles, the middle part. So to me, you have instrumentalists, you have singers, mm -hmm. and then in the middle, you have musicians, whereby okay. I have skills that instrumentalists have and some that they don't have. Like I can read music. That mm -hmm. makes me like I make right. music from my body, right? So mm -hmm. I consider myself a musician. I also okay. play piano. Um, I'm, I'm an instrumentalist as well. Um, okay. That being said, to answer your question, and, and I can't speak for, I can't speak for people who consider themselves singers. I speak mm -hmm. for people who consider themselves hybrids like me, musicians mm -hmm. who okay. go like understand music, make music, sing, maybe play an instrument, maybe don't, but like have other musical skills because like sometimes people can be conductors, right? Maybe they mm -hmm. don't play an instrument, maybe they, can, they don't sing, but they're really excellent conductors. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. they're still musicians to me. Um, mm -hmm. So that being said, yes, I do that tracking. And a lot of times as a kid, I wanted to know who was playing on the records. Yeah. So, oh, line of notes. I yeah, was, all that. I was all up in them liner notes. Like I knew who Kevin Bond was as a kid. I knew who mm. Aaron was as a kid. I knew so Aaron Spears just also another angel just joined the Angels is a DC legendary drummer. Yeah. Um mm -hmm. he was in a group called Gideon Band. And Gideon Band was a very local but had a really big song that transcended all of gospel music and is in the gospel music canon um forever. And it was like, I don't know, like. I, I was always interested in who made the art. Like I told you, pe like mm -hmm. groups like TLC started opening my mind. And of course I didn't have this language as a fucking 10 year old, but now mm -hmm. I do have the language to say that they opened my third eye to art. Mm -hmm. My ears were open to, to singing and to music, but, but art, that's where I started to want to know, okay, well, who made all of this come together? Yes, mm -hmm. I am a singer, but I hear strings and I hear piano and this drummer is killing. Who is that? Who is the mm -hmm. bass player? Like, and growing up in a house full of boys who are also instrumentalists, brother above me plays organ and piano and brother above that plays uh, piano and produces. So like they were always interested in who was playing. And, and so I was too. And, and honey, don't let it be a girl. Like I, I, one of my dreams is to have a song with Sheila E and in the company, and to share the stage, like to do a full song campaign with her. 
Like I yeah. have a song actually right now that I would love for her to like do a remix to or something. And we do a visual and we go on like J-Hud or something and perform it together. Like I would die happy because not just because she's a girl, just to be clear, but she's a bad bitch. Yeah. And one thing I feel like growing up, you didn't really see a lot of women who both look like bad bitches and were highly skilled. It was mm. like highly skilled and you look like the auntie that got a roommate. <laughs> very, very handsome and masculine. Very, yes, very dapper. Or, very dapper. <laughs> or a bad bitch who somebody just put you on a job because you that girl, but you suck. Right. So right, right. Like Sheila E was the first one that I was like, oh my God, who is that? Like, what is she doing? Like, and are those six inch heels like, oh, she's beat. Like I'm actually just watching family business right now. And she has a guest star role mm. in there. And immediately I'm like, what can't you do? Like, I want to be a goddaughter. <laughs> will you, will you just like, can I come over? Because I know she lives here in LA. I'm like, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when is it good? When am I going to find my celebrities that decide to take me under their wing and like want to have me over for no reason for brunch and to just pour into me and like, right. Take you know, like that's what I'm like, Sheila E, where you at? I see We're gonna make it happen. Godmother. Listen, listen, you can listen, anything's possible. We can make it, listen. I, I might tell you off the podcast, I, I'm about to say something, but it ain't for listener consumption. I'll tell, I'll tell you after. I wait till I wait till after the day they, they don't need to know is sometimes in-house conversation they don't they, I, I tell some of the the musician secrets I can't tell all of them on the on the on the podcast but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you after we get off here for sure okay. but uh I, man I got so many questions damn I don't even man you gonna be here for another two hours if I man if I ask you all the questions I want to ask I'm trying to limit it to to about four more and then wrap it up oh go ahead my bad i didn't mean to cut you off well, i was just gonna say to add on to the last question you said about tracking i definitely was also also interested in families anytime mm. i knew that somebody in the operation was also a family member i was instantly like sold so like you mentioned whitney houston and like knowing her mother was aretha franklin's one of aretha franklin singers and like knowing mm -hmm. that's her singing the ooh, ooh, or ain't no way in the background and Dion yeah and like the Jacksons, of course, I watched that American Dream movie every time it came on, fell asleep, woke up and was still on. Like any of those, the Braxtons, I was grown by the time the Braxton Family Values came out, but I loved Tony Braxton and mm -hmm. finding out that they were all a part of those operations. Growing up, I didn't know that those background singers were her sisters. Cause to mm -hmm. be honest, I wasn't really paying attention. Like they weren't selling me enough away from Tony. Like people like Lisa mm -hmm. Fisher now would be like, oh yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, definitely families I was interested in and like personnel, like not necessarily mm -hmm. the predecessors as much, but like who was making the art with them, like who, the, the total, like I still do that. I still go to the song credits immediately. I want to know who wrote it. I want to know who produced like BJ, the Chicago kid just put out um, an album called Gravy. And yeah. That um, one of the song credits, and because one of the songs, like, who wrote this? What is this? And we go and we go to one of the guy's song credits, and he basically did all of BJ's stuff and like a whole bunch mm -hmm. of all the stuff we love is this mm -hmm. one person. So, um, 
Yeah, that's kind of how my tracking started and how it kind of evolved. And it's still the same now. I want to know who all is involved in the art, even down to like who made the album art. If I love the cover art, like mm. who, all, who all over there? <laughs> <laughs> who them people? <laughs> Very interesting story. Like I said, I was want to go to the college. What was that like in terms of the opera? The I know you did that for 10 years and. I, what, was that before or what, during college when you were doing jazz? Were you doing it simultaneously? How how did that work out? Respect and admirations for my friends who stuck it out. I just literally drove to San Francisco last week to see my friend starring in San Francisco opera. She was amazing. I love supporting my friend. My friends are Grammy Award winners in opera. Mm -hmm. Um, in the last few years, but it didn't bring me joy. And honestly, this is going to sound so fucked up. I just liked being better at white people at their thing, being better than white people at their thing. Yeah. I liked beating them mm -hmm. in the auditions. I liked, I felt like I was taking their roles. I mm. felt like I kept them on their toes. I liked, I liked how shook they were when I walked in the room. Um, but that, at, by the time I was 22, that wasn't enough to feed me. That wasn't enough to be like, wait, right. so you want me to keep doing this to like be broke doing this, like love doing this mm. no matter what? Nah. So college was hard. I'm going to be honest. I did not have the best college experience. I had the best friends. I still, I love those people. I'm going to see them next week. I'm so excited. We have made an effort to see each other every year since graduation and it's been 10 years. Uh, we have we coined it called Friends Winning Weekend, and we will find at least one weekend a year. This year will be two, um, but we will find at least one weekend a year to celebrate each other, to meet up, to celebrate life. If it's a birthday, if it's a big affair, we'll make sure uh, there's been babies, there's been weddings. We'll make sure we're there. They they support me um, on my journey. Um, so that is the best possible part of my college experience. The second best thing I will say is Oberlin definitely prepared me musically. And when I say musically, I mean technically. I don't mean sonically necessarily because like mm -hmm. I don't, so it's not like I gotta be out here killing in the opera streets, right? Like, but as far right. as it goes and like knowing the voice, knowing how to sing, um, being able to find placement on any song in any key in any given setting and all those things, that school definitely gave me did me that. It is its musical rigor is high. I do think some of its musical rigor is a bit outdated and unnecessary for the world as it is right now. But did it help shape me and give me a foundation? Yes. And and not to mention when people see Oberlin on, an, on my resume, as far as like in the musical world going in for things, they know what that means. The day that I met John Batiste, his, Ooh. his, Love that guy. who was also on tour with, with us, we saw each other and we immediately were like, oh my God, you know, because <laughs> Both went to Oberlin, not at the same time, but be, when you're black and you go to a very uh -huh. black place, you go and know each other. So we knew uh -huh. each other in the streets and we had never played together. We were genuinely happy to see each other. And he like, y'all know each other already? And we're like, yeah, we both went to Oberlin. And immediately John trusted me from that moment to arrange, to lead. I arranged and 
vocal produced his vocals for the Grammys uh, two years ago, his big Grammy performance of Freedom right here in LA. And that I, the day before, I got that call the day before, like, can you get the girls together? Can you book a studio? Can you, we're just gonna send you the files and can you make it happen? But like, he immediately trusted me because he knew like if I had been through that program and graduated, I must be really good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I must have a certain understanding. I must speak a certain language. And as somebody who matriculated through Juilliard, like we speak the exact same language, musical trauma. <laughs> we speak <laughs> right. European musical trauma very clearly, but it allows us to then like springboard off of that. So like if me and him are in a room with with a whole bunch of white people in the orchestra and all that, we, we can communicate, but we can also get in the room and, and with, Kojic church people, the blues in New Orleans, wherever, and soar, we can be fine. So um, I will say that my college experience overall, like socially was hard. It was really hard being in the Midwest. And I can't even speak for the whole Midwest because now as a grown adult, I've been to other Midwestern places and they just don't suck as much as Ohio does. Like Ohio really is just, whoo, it's not. places. I'm gonna be honest about that. Um, so that contributed the weather, like the darkness, it's dark all year. You only really get like two months and that's in the summer. So if you're a college student, I'm not, I'm not at the school over the summer. So I'm just, it's just dark all the time. Right. Overall, I would say just emotionally and socially, it was really difficult, but the difficulty that I faced there going to a predominantly white institution absolutely prepared, absolutely prepared me for the very white world that I, that we mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely prepared me for the entertainment industry and it being mm -hmm. the wild, wild west, honey, and mm -hmm. it very unregulated and very just all over the place with a lot of things. Um, racism, discrimination, um, prejudice. Um, a lot of times prejudice is not on purpose. It really is. Yeah. Not it is what we are trained to understand about the people we interact with. And so I learned grace for prejudice going to a predominant, not, not giving a pass, honey. I be in these white folks ass, just to be clear. Oh, okay? as you should, right. Times, like the voice, baby, I was in their ass behind the scenes. But right. I learned that we are all a sum total of our experiences of the things that people taught us. Like you asked me about my musical upbringing. Well, I didn't get to shape that for myself. I got handed mm -hmm. a few things, got to decide mm -hmm. if I liked them or not. And then when I had autonomy, went and discovered other things. Aretha mm -hmm. Franklin, I didn't dig into her catalog until I was 25. Okay. Aretha Franklin was not played in my house like that. Like. Mm -hmm. Of course, I know, I know respect and all the big joints, but like digging into the catalog for real, mm. I did that on my own. You know, I, right. I had to go find it. I had to go look for it. I had to go basically create my own musical identity based on the pieces of DNA that were given to me. But I had to go then do the weaving and decide what the helix was going to look like, you know, mm. to get me kind of here now. See, only 
I'm trying not to like again hold you up. I'm conscious of the time, but it's okay. only three more questions. Three questions I have left because I, I feel like it's important to the because I try to uh, create the story for the the listener so they get a full picture of your your whole you know your your whole uh, journey of the music. I'm trying to paint the picture for them so they can get a because they don't because uh, most of my listeners they're either inspiring artists or musicians and they don't understand the process if they not in the music industry they don't understand there's levels to getting there and i and i want to i wanted to talk about the voice but you pretty much uh answered it when you were describing that so i'm not going to ask you anything about that i want to talk about your acting how did that come about i know you black lady sketch show unfortunately i watched I, uh, it got canceled but i enjoyed it i loved the whole duration i know you came in at the last season with the other cast but it was fan it was hilarious it was funny but I know your journey started before then, but what was that uh, in terms of your acting? What, how did that come about in terms of your journey with music? So, yeah, I, you know what? I got to touch on the voice in order to do that. So, okay. again, kid, getting my hair braided, fell in love with the musical cinema, right? But, like, always knew, like, I wanted to be on the screen. Like, I knew mm -hmm. I wanted to be on TV. Every time, watching shows like Sister, Sister and Moesha and all of those, mm -hmm. like, always wanted to be on TV. I remember seeing um, Queen Latifah in, besides like Living Single and stuff like that I watched too, but like her Queen collection with CoverGirl. Like mm. when I started wearing makeup, I bought the Queen collection specifically because of her commercials, because of seeing the black women um, campaigns with CoverGirl. So like I always knew that I wanted to be on TV, um, but singing music was like the top priority for so long mm -hmm. that I just figured that would be the vehicle for me to do all the other stuff. And mm -hmm. also there was a part of me that felt like all the training that I put into music, like I have to do that for acting too in order to be ready for that. So when I'm, you know, and so I started like taking, having acting coaching on the, on the side and like I was doing musical theater in um, New York a bit, um, but I must say the turning point for that for me was the voice. So mm. I did the voice, I was on the voice, and my first session with John Legend after I picked him as my coach, he said to me, you know, you, got, you have a great personality, you are hilarious, you are beautiful, and you got the nerve to sing like that. Like, I am so happy you chose me. And we proceeded with our meeting, but what landed on me and has always stayed with me was that he said the singing last, which mm -hmm. meant that that wasn't the most valuable thing that I had to offer. And maybe I should put that out there, you know? Mm -hmm. um, also, I, I won't give any specific names because I don't remember what I signed, but a television mm. network came to me and pitched after I got off The Voice. And what they said was, we enjoyed your personality so much. You are so funny. We are looking for new shows to develop, and we just want to know if you have any ideas that you want to pitch. Mm. And so after that, I was like, I think I'm kind of a big deal. Like, I think I might have right. more to offer the world than I've been selling. And mm -hmm. so, you know what? We're just going to go balls to the wall and put everything out there and use my personality as the vehicle now. 
not going to use music as a vehicle anymore. Music is a place for people to land should they like it there. And comedy is a place for people to land should they like it there. Beauty mm -hmm. is a place for people to land should they like it there. But let's change the vehicle this time. Like, thank you so much, Toyota. We're going to head on over to Tesla now, you know? And <laughs> I got in the vehicle and what I started doing was posting social media stuff that was comedic and that was personality. I started taking people, like before The Voice, I would do in my stories, I would take people to gigs with me. So I always did, um, I don't remember, you know what this dance is called? I don't remember what, what I, I, don't, I don't, my nephew probably do, my, my, my teenage nephew do, I, I, I can't remember. Yeah, because it's from like Grand Theft Auto or something, but. Yeah, um, from, um, What's the name of that damn video game? Yeah, I forgot the name of Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Fortnite. So I used to do the Fortnite to songs, but I would do it obnoxious. I would do it to the lyrics. So, like, if we're doing, I'm going to leave the door open. And I'd be like, I'm going to leave the door open. Oh, man. In my story, honestly, like two years, it got to the point where people be like, do the dance, do the dance, do the dance, do the, do dance, the dance, dance all the time. <laughs> I literally had somebody ask me the other day, and I was looking at them like, you don't know don't that. Do that. I'm that now. Um, but taking people on my regular life journey with me, taking them in the Uber rides where the, the Uber drivers, I don't know why I'm an Uber Oh driver. my God. You, we live in the middle of the same life. It's like every time I leave a gig, every time I get, every, I make the mistake of taking the Uber from the airport. It's like, dude, like I got headphones in. Like it's always a man. It's always a man. It's always a middle-aged man. You got to tell me his life story. I feel like the unpaid therapist is like, what's going on? I didn't ask what for all this. You paying them to be their therapist. Right, exactly. They'll tell you their whole story. It's like, don't even say how you doing. They're going to give you, well, I'm just doing this on the side, you know, because my, you know, I got dialysis going on, you know, next Tuesday and, you know, uh, you know, my, I'm doing it, you know, because, you know, I got to make some extra money on the side, you know, just, you know, just to have, it's just a whole story or nothing. It's like, what's going on? I feel for you, brother, but it's like, I just need you to take me from here to there in peace and quiet. I feel you, though. So yes, I started just making like bringing people along on that journey. And then after the voice is when I decided to start like um, creating sketches. Like okay. I had these ideas and I would always have these ideas. And then we we're in the pandemic. Like I had nothing but time. Oh, yeah, for so, sure. Like, like I would do little funny things like when the Clark Sisters movie came out, like I put on a robe and like pretended like I did a church, whole church march to sit in the living room and watch it with my Bible in my hand, like just ridiculous stuff. But but I, I never got on trends. I, my right. mind never connected to like TikTok trends and like Instagram trends. That just always felt like something for the kids. So mm -hmm. 30 year olds think it's funny and it's like our millennial issues, adulting stuff or like mm -hmm. our evolution with our parents, healing our, our trauma with our parents and being able to like laugh through it. Like I saw a thing the other day that was like, um, black math or black parenting math and it was like if you had fun yesterday you can't have fun today as a kid and I was like that is so true like uh -uh. no y'all went to the park yes y'all went swimming yesterday hey, it's, a, it's a limit to the like, why, why couldn't we have fun two days in a row what was wrong with that oh, oh my like, god and so I started making my sketches and just 
stuff like if weed men had Yelp reviews or um, <laughs> every time our, our, our Kelly song comes on where you're like, oh, damn it, I used to love this music so much, but I can't, I can't love this right. <laughs> that I felt like was relatable. And and I guess the genre for me of comedy is social commentary. Like mm. I always relate to stuff that's grounded and rooted in reality. Um, and so that being said, I just started putting comedic content, but I was very strategic. Like I wanted to set myself apart by not just hopping on trends. I wanted to show that my ideas were like the level of TV writers. I just mm-hmm. didn't resources, but I have myself. I could be different characters. I could be in the wild. I'm not afraid to set my camera up wherever. And so I was just doing that while I was on tour. So like I would do stuff like different type of background singers. And it's like the one who's always late, the one who's always smoking, the one who's always drunk, the one who's just <laughs> always gone, the one who's always crying, like different stuff like that. And I was on the road actually last year 2022, I think it was June, we were with John Batiste in New York City. It was a week of like the craziest week ever. We had the Songwriters Hall of Fame. We had the Today Show. We had like a, a gig earlier in the week, like a fundraiser, just a whole lot of stuff. And I got a casting, mm. got a casting notice on Actors Access that I thought was so strange because like, I don't use Actors Access. I maybe set up a profile in like 2016 or something like that. And had right. I was on tour, honey. I wasn't worried about that. <laughs> I know that's right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> John Batiste, honey, like we're that, that part. Right. Saving to move to LA anyway. I was going back and forth. And so that casting notice came for a black lady sketch show in it. And usually casting notice or like um audition notices, sometimes I don't know if you've experienced this. Sometimes it doesn't mm. say the artist's name. It'll say like mm. oh, sorry about that. You're it fine. will say the category of person. Mm. Like a like a lister, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You no, know, whatever. But this was like HBO's a black lady sketch show is looking for new cast members, blah blah blah. And the criteria, the audition submission, was content I already made. So mm-hmm. I cannot stress enough. Hashtag stay ready, so you ain't gotta get ready. I did not have time because remember I was on tour. So there was yeah. no time to self-tape anything. There wasn't no 48 hours to sit with no materials and come up with no ideas. And I'm not a trained comedian either. So it's mm-hmm. like, what do I have that's polished that these people would fuck with? And so I already had, they needed something with an accent and impersonation and an impression, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had all of those from one video that I did. I did a video mm-hmm. called the Black Community Strategy Meeting. And I've seen it. <laughs> It was social commentary in, t- in response to the fact that sometimes as black as the black community, I feel like we just be spinning in circles and it's right. like everybody thinks that their thing is the thing we should do first. It's like the vegans think that we need to get our diet under control and other people think we need to deal with like foreign policy. And some people mm-hmm. think that church's responsibility and like, you know, the musical community is steady making songs. And it's like, shut up. We did not ask you for another song. You know, <laughs> And then the social media trends that are just barreling through, ignoring, you know, really heavy subject matter. And so I used what I was feeling. I woke, I dreamt it. I dreamt this like boardroom meeting where all of these representatives from different parts of the black community were there and they were just all arguing. And I just woke up 
cracking the fuck up. And I immediately got up and like went around my mama's basement, found like head wraps, hats, like different ways to make myself into different characters without fully changing my wardrobe because that's not necessary. Mm-hmm. She came out of her room and I was sitting in her houseplant. And because my mother knows her baby, she simply just looked at me and said, are you sitting in my plant? And I said, yeah. Put her hand rolling. What's the question is for? Like, it's okay, mom. Doing a sketch, mom, for Instagram. <laughs> that very same sketch that I made was what I used <sighs> as my submission for the show. I got a callback, and the callbacks were like, Are you going to be in LA these dates? And I was like, Fuck, I'm going to be on tour with Corey Henry now. Mm. I was, and they said, No problem. We will audition you on Zoom. And I auditioned for HBO on Zoom. I did not come to LA, I could not. And this is something I really would like to stress. If you are an aspiring artist, young person, please listen to me when I say this. Do not shit on any other opportunities you have, especially if they gave you a step when you didn't have nothing for the next big thing. Because mm. I could have backed out of that tour to come to LA and audition in person. Mm. But what God has for me is for me. And so that would have meant fixing Corey, who not only gave me a chance when I, I had no background exam. I was a, he was the first person I ever did any backgrounds for and never saw mm. the phone. Never, I told you, called me on my bluff, but still kept calling me, right? Like right, right, right. later has become a friend. I'm hosting his um, benefit concert in a couple of weeks. Like I could have backed out on him and told him like, hey, this is really important. And he would have just had to be okay with it. Um, but it was Canada. So now you have to get somebody else on an international flight who has a passport, who has a visa. This is in two weeks, like, or next week, you know? And so I still went on tour. I did what I had to do. I asked the tour. I talked to the tour manager and I called him personally to let him know, like, I just need, I might need to leave soundcheck early, but I just need to do this in my hotel room. And it's really important. And he was immediately like, first of all, he's such a man. You still going to be at the gig, right? We're just making sure that you're gonna right. be there. <laughs> Sweet, hope you did it. Like very simple tour managers. Like never heard of this because she was white, the, the white girl at the time. I never heard of that show, but it sounds amazing. I hope you get it. You know, very very supportive. Um, and auditioned on Zoom, and a couple weeks later or a week later, I was in LA subletting. Mm-hmm. Just I was going back and forth by faith believing that a job was going to come to me. But I knew I needed to be LA in LA. I knew I need to learn the landscape, build my community, studio sessions, all that. So I was just going back and forth by faith. I was here on one of my by faith trips. And you know, I get an email that Robin Thede would like to um like your phone number to ask you a couple more questions to make her decision. And I'm like, God damn it, what else do you want to know? Um her just being her just being cute, her just being funny. Right time and offer the job in person, like face to face. And I was able to be, this is a very church thing. I was ushered out of background singing. I got released. I got to sit down with John. Ushered. 
Yes, you know what's it called when it's like I have a usher in the spirit. That's when they when you catch the ghost and they they usher you out of there. I didn't leave uncovered, honey. I didn't leave uncovered. Okay, that's the word. That's it. Yeah. I asked his um, chief of staff. Shout out to Julian. Um, I said, can you can you give me a second alone with him, please? Like I need to tell him this and I would like to tell him myself. I don't want to email this and I don't want you guys to relay this message. Like we've been on a journey for the past year and a half together. At that time, the Grammys had already come and gone. He was flying private by then. So we we, we really didn't see him as much as we had been. He wasn't in the trenches with us no more. And rightly so. Right. And so right. we um he carved out a second. We had just got off the stage. He got into his black car. And before they pulled off, he carved out a couple seconds for me to talk. And so I got into the black car with him and we're sitting in the black car. And I told him that I booked the show and his eyes got so big. He said, damn, that's your dream. Mm. And I almost cried. I was like, I was nervous to tell him because I like, we have been working so closely together and like he was building and you know, I didn't really want to leave. I liked the gig. We were having fun, you know? Um, right, right, right. It was good, funny, you know, whatever. So it, but we talked. I was able to offload my fears. I, I couldn't really be honest with a whole lot of people. Like, of course, yeah, you're excited to book the gig, but I was terrified. Completely mm. uncharted territory for me. And mm. I spent 20 years in music. Baby, any music gig I could do, you could call me for any music gig, and I was going to be confident. But this, completely unconfident, completely scared, completely a little lamb. And I was able to offload that to him and really be honest. And he gave me advice because he had just spent seven years on television. So mm -hmm. he's like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be a lot to take in, but learn everything, listen to everything, get the lingo mm -hmm. as much as you can. He was like, but those are your people. And I was like, you know, I still, if I can do some more gigs, da, 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 da. he said, no, 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 no. You need to focus. You need to focus. Mm -hmm those are your people and that's where you belong and that's your dream and mm. um so that that is how acting happened and like i've still done like a spot bait or two with him they know they can call me if they need me um i've done some choir gigs <laughs> since with like john legend and like mm. but that was really like when i say i was ushered out of background singing it was almost like those people were like yeah you're not supposed to be here he's right you know, it's the tutelage of it. It's the learning, the learning of it. Background vocalist is like, like you said, Lisa Fisher earlier, like, you know, with Luca Bandos, it was like, you know, that was ushering her into her own thing, you know? But the reality is on those gigs, they, um, they knew who I was and what I was capable of before I was executing it. So Corey would say all the time, Tam, you need to be on TV and not like a in passing, like make sure you're working for it because you need to be on TV. And when I told John Batiste, actually, it was a private <laughs> randomly when we did the um, the Met Gala, the security is super tight at the Met Gala, super, super tight. You can't have your assistant, nothing with you. So mm -hmm. like naked, you know what I mean? Like he had nobody. And so it's just him and the personnel. So like the band and I was the only person singing. So usually it's me and Dez and Sue. So like we help him if, if at any, if it's any time where his people can't be there, 
Mm. We ladies we gonna help him. We gonna make sure he's not ashy. His hair look okay. Anything you know, we see him. Not ashy. <laughs> these men be ashy with that play piano, and I be like, your hands. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't never ashy. He was never ashy. Corey. <laughs> Um, they also, I, I, I learned since that they don't like for their hands to be slippery, so they don't you know, right, right, right. Yep. like oils and stuff on their hands. Anyway, mm -hmm. I was at the Met, Met Gala with him and he, we had just finished doing the performance and he needed to change and be a regular Met Gala celebrity guest now, but he don't dress himself in all them fancy clothes. So he's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be wearing because, um, Anna Winter like tells people what they're wearing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like you know what I mean so he has all these he's, and, and also he knows what he likes and he doesn't like but he's nice so he's never going to be the one that's like no I'm not doing that so mm -hmm. that particular day I was like I got you bro you need help and he was like yes so literally just me and him in a dressing room um, they're handing his clothes I'm helping him and I don't really know how we got into it but somehow he asked me like what I wanted to do with my life. And I told him, I said, I want to do what Stephen Colbert does. I want to be a personality. I want to do correspondence. I want to meet you on the red carpet. Like I want people like you to know when you see my black ass on the red carpet, you want to come talk to me. Whatever publication I'm speaking for, if I'm speaking for myself, if it's Essence or whoever, you see Tam like, oh, it's same way like Kiki. Like that's that's me. It's gonna be. Because I really value being that person, you know. And right. That's the person I was on the road, even as a background singer. And yeah. I feel like those those two men in particular, like they knew I wasn't gonna land there. And and I ain't gonna lie. I started figuring out on the business end, and this is something that um, I will be launching um, a Patreon in the next month as a part of this type of community um, talk. But like, um, I don't know, like you kind of got to know your lanes. Mm -hmm. those, two, those two people in particular were very specific lanes for a person like me. And that's why it was kind of like an easy way for me to just come in and be myself. I didn't have to come in and transform into anything else. And so, but that being said, myself has her own brands and myself has her own missions. And so mm -hmm. towards maybe the last six months with John, like I was having to do my own gigs. I was having to decide between, had to decide between going to Paris with him as a background singer or featuring in a duet with John Legend. Mm. And I had to, my friend's mom passed from cancer and the funeral was the day of the Songwriters Hall of Fame. So I had to leave New York, come back to DC, do the funeral. I had to leave the funeral early. And this is one of my best friends. So like I was, mm sang the funeral. It wasn't like I was just there attending. Like I did the whole praise. Like I made sure all the music was good. Hired mm. the musician for the uh the gravesite. I wasn't even there. Like texting on the on the train. Like is everything good? Oh man. Back to New York to do the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and then coming back to DC because I had a fundraiser that these people already mm. paid me four thousand dollars for. Now mind right. you, there was no background gig that I ever got four thousand dollars for one night of singing for. Right. So 
So then I had to start really, and this is what I want young artists and young musicians and instrumentalists to like really think about. Sometimes you can make more money doing shit on your own. If it's not about for you, if your dream is to support, be a supporting personnel for A-listers, do it, right? But for me, I got there and realized how quickly that that's it. And that all you're going to do is bounce around doing that, which nothing wrong with that. I have friends who make a very good living. That is their career. They eat, they live well from being supporting personnel, right? Like, mm -hmm. but I just realized quickly, I'm like, well, if I could go do a fundraiser back in my local community for $5,000 as the featured artist, why would I go make $1,500 a week for a week right. work, you know, and starting to make yeah. that transition. And that's, that's really how acting kind of snuck its way into it, realizing one, the business of music that like what it takes to make money in music takes a lot of sacrifice. It's it's mm -hmm. almost like there has to be a period of like a lull before you can. For sure. Yeah. Um, but once you develop certain skills and your name is in certain circles, you don't have to go back down. You know what I mean? Like there's certain people who they, I would, I would do something for them for free. They won't let me. They would mm. never call me and never, you know, allow me to come do something for them for free because of who they are, you know, uh, because of who I am or who they perceive me to be. Um, so really just knowing when it's time to evolve and when it's time to transform, mm. um, that's what you want. Again, nothing wrong with wanting to be supporting personnel for A-listers. And I'm specific about that, right? Like, mm. if you're going to aspire to be supporting personnel, then aspire to be at the top. Don't be, don't be you know what I'm mm. saying? Like, and an A-list doesn't mean the top either. Like the top Right, exactly. You're doing where it's like, my money is good. The people are nice. I'm treated well. The work is regular. Like, there's a lot of artists who capitalize on their fan base and work all year that you could be touring with. Yeah. So my 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 point is though, whatever you're aspiring to do, like aspire to do it at the most appropriately high level. Like right now, for me, if I was to do background again, I would want to be the leading lady of like a rock band, like mm. white list. Like the best touring experience I ever had was with Zach Brown with the Zach Brown band. I mm. mean, treated like royalty, singing in oh. the choir. Okay, so I'm like, God, what would this be like? Yeah, I, I could be with like a country group, like a like a like a I don't know, Rolling Stones type of situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or it has to be like a like a like a the the in terms of like like a arena stadium, like a, a gig that's worth doing, not no hole in the wall joint, just for I'm the listener to perspective. I'm on the charters with you, like One Republic, like that level. Like yeah, right. You know, when I'm not on private planes, I'm in business class, first class. Like we're not. Yes, that that part, right? Treated like I'm going to come in and kill this. Exactly. Yeah, I'm going. I'm being exactly doing this for over two decades because I have. So, um, not like sh like shunning any background gigs, but like I said, I was ushered out of that. I really was ushered out of that. I was. Mm -hmm welcomed into this other arena, this new platform for acting and comedy. Um, I love it. I've really been enjoying it. And like in the last few months, like the strike has really forced us all to come to grips with like, okay, what do we really want to do? 
what you really mm-hmm. and for me like it's never been acting per se it's always been like i want to be on tv i want mm-hmm. to be personality and so i've really been barreling down and more into hosting and correspondence work um blogging more uh being intentional taking my little this is my little lapel mics with me i went to the la auto show today with my um my roommate uh luna ray amber baker an amazing drummer um we just mm-hmm. became a couple weeks ago and we just been like doing stuff and we were there like why have we never done something like this is so cool mm-hmm. like but doing more more things that aren't just the typical, like, I, I don't, I'll be honest, I think I'm over the music hangs. I just, mm-hmm. like, so we just gonna drink and talk shit? Like, <laughs> what, what more is there? Like, what are we learning? Like, I feel like I learned so much today about cars. Like, right. I don't know why, but like having the different brands all in one place made it so much easier to compare them, made yeah. it like you could about them you could ask people you could get in them you could sit in them and be like oh i don't like how high this is it's like oh this is more raggedy on the inside than it looks (laughs) (laughs) new experiences and like to come along with me on those experiences and opening myself up like that's what that's what this like next leg of the journey has been and i have some branding around it and all that um, I'm not gonna say it yet because I, I I ain't launched it yet and I don't want nobody steal my shit. But right. you know, like more blogging, more personality. That's really where I want to be. And like comedic, I love comedy, and I still would like to continue with sketch. Um, I just you know encourage young people, especially like there was no black lady sketch show when I was a kid. I came mm-hmm. home and watched reruns of In Living Color. I mm-hmm. watched. TV. I I mean, I down Mad TV. I watch Mad TV. Mm-hmm. There was no sketch Deborah Wilson ever did that I did not see. I was just about to say, I know you about to say Deborah Wilson. I knew it. <laughs> I even like shows like Mama's Family, where yeah. like, mm-hmm. they were clearly improving, but there was a storyline. There's a through line. Like there's a mm-hmm. plot. Like, yeah. You just improv that because everybody's trying not to laugh. You know? Um, yeah. I was always into that stuff. But there was there was no place for me to land just yet. But 2020, 2019 came and then this show was birthed. And yes, we it got canceled, but I got to get one season in. I got to be yeah. part of a legacy that mm-hmm. like had I not just been following my path, if I would have gave up and like, you know what, this entertainment thing, they ain't no shows for black women, they ain't no this, they ain't no that. Orange is the New Black was literally one of my tickets into acting. I photo double for Danielle Brooks simply because I look like her. That is okay. Me. I was a I was an extra on Orange is the New Black. Extra. I was just okay. work because I just I wanted to be on set, but mm-hmm. I didn't have no experience, and I figured learn on the job. So whenever all the other extras wasn't holding, my ass was off to the side looking. Every take, looking, looking. Right, observing, right. And they went back through the footage after that season and called me. And they said, you have a striking resemblance to one of the characters. I said, let me guess, Tasty. It had been years I've been told that. And then um, they said, well, would you like to photo double for her? That's actually, it was like $150 more than the extra. Extra was like $100 a day for up to 10 hours. Yeah. And I think photo doubling was like two fifty a day, and you mm-hmm. get overtime as well. And it's literally like the back of her, the back of my head, the back of my hands in the distance. You'll never see me. I'll never even. I can't point out me because it wasn't the point. The point is, right. she don't 
come to work to go lay in a cot in the background. Um, exactly. And so that was like my entry point into like TV. That's how I got my SAG eligibility and all of that. Mm-hmm. But just like being open to the avenues and the vehicles that it can come and like, yeah, you music may be the thing that caught your ear, caught your eye as a kid, but it might not stop there. You mm-hmm. might land as a playback engineer and mm-hmm. you did not even know what the hell that was when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. Shit, I didn't know what it was till a year ago, two years ago. Right. Maybe it wasn't a job, you know, I don't know. And AI, all that, like a whole lot of stuff now is happening that wasn't available to us. Those of us that Mm -hmm. decided we wanted a career in this. It was really giving sing and play or teach. That's it. Like Mm -hmm. in church, get a job on the road if you can. And even that, like Aaron Spears was like a, the pioneer in leaving the church music and like, playing but still absolutely before mm-hmm. it was like if you leave to go on the road you basically leave the church you might as well just go ahead and do it all and that's when that, that's what niggas do like it's like fine yeah. go to the and fuck bitches and get money since i'm not welcome over here but like <laughs> one of those people that was very intentional about like still came home and played in church and still was like a really nice guy good guy and so mm-hmm. like now it's not weird for like I didn't have no OGs who played gigs on Friday, Saturday nights, or like was on tour and then came back on Sunday morning and could tell me about it. Mm-hmm. Like that's all me and my friends are now. None of our kids could ever want to do this and not be equipped. Like if mm-hmm. any of our kids could want, they could be like, "What's that sound man doing? Him? Oh, that's my nigga. Let me text him." Like it's right. <laughs> you know, like we have that ecosystem, and and perhaps maybe that ecosystem existed for other people when they were kids. I just didn't have it, you know. Uh, <clears throat> so I really want to encourage like the younger generation. Like things are changing, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna be honest: the the music industry that was the entertainment industry that was promised to me is not the mm-hmm. one that I, I'm currently experiencing. So mm-hmm. I'm not gonna promise anything because it's mm-hmm. all gonna change. But what I can mm-hmm. promise. If you love this shit, you stick with it, you find your lanes, find the things that you love, cast your net wide, try it all, try theater, try, like a lot of people don't know that you could have a salary job as an instrumentalist playing on Broadway every single night. Yeah, I got one of my friends is on Broadway doing that, the exact same thing you're doing, you're talking about. Benefits, your kids can go to college, and... They're aware that you're a musician, so you still get to call out like once a week if you want to as a pit musician. So they still yeah. be wedding gigs and stuff like that. And like, yeah. you can, I have a friend who just officially joined the Met Chorus. She is mm. officially on roster as a Met Chorister. She earns her salary, pension, benefits, everything is going to be able to. I know she's in the process of looking for a condo, I think, in New York City, like because she has all those things in place now. Like nobody told us that that was an option. Nobody told us that you could work towards being a professional choir member at an at an opera house. And if you actually look into that, you probably could do that a lot earlier than my friends are doing it now. They've since done two big black productions at the Met and then got offered to stay on afterwards. But it's like, mm. what does it look like to be prepared to be a chorister? Because mm. some of my 
things that I think back, like they was never gonna be soloists. I'm so sorry. That's such a <laughs> it's real though. You never that's had the reality. You never that's had, that's the realest. They didn't have the voice, they didn't have the chops. You gotta have heart. Yeah. It's one thing to be yeah. singing around with your friends, but to get up on stages in front of like a lot of people, especially black people, we're a hard ass audience sometimes. You know what I mean? Like you gotta have the chops, the confidence, yeah. the power that and all that like they didn't have that but could mm. they have been choristers in whatever city they live in the la philharmonic on staff or the philly whatever the hell they call it over there or the mm. philharmonic or, you know all these places that have salaried choristers like they could have been working towards that and that's what i really want the younger generation to know and part of my mission which is why I really don't say yes to podcast interviews. If you didn't notice, you you don't see a whole lot of those on my on my stuff. But yeah. I really appreciate your mission, and I like looked through um, some of the other artists you had, and I said, you know what? These are my colleagues. I know these people. If they thought it was a good thing, then cool, it's cool. But like, I want I want the next generations to be more equipped than I was. I was prepared, but I wasn't equipped. I was mm. given all of the the tools and the the tools but and they're like hey this is what you do with them but they didn't tell me how to be adaptable and malleable and be like hey you might have to throw those tools out the window sometimes and do something completely different you know so if you want to do this if you want to be in the entertainment industry whatever facets like why be open like open yourself up to what vehicles like i have a friend who's like i'm a ballad singer i don't sing them upbeat songs and i said Okay, well, you can sing an upbeat song. And the other day, I saw her singing and dancing an upbeat song. And I DM, I said, well, hello, ballad singer. She's like, I know, it's come along. It's it's a lot of <laughs> I really liked it. Like, it was the work. They were scared of the work, right? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, you, you're drifting in so many different conversations. I'm not trying to hold you up. But it's like, I talk about this every damn, every damn episode because I get so many emails with how you do this, how you do that. And it's like, Listen, if you want to make it as a musician and singer, and I was going to wrap up the, the last question I was going to ask before I play this quick game with you real quick. Um, in terms of your music, um, I know you did a GoFundMe. You got the GoFundMe campaign, and you dropped the new music. The, the, uh, you dropped a single uh, this past, was it spring, right? It was spring yeah. you dropped the single. Oh, my God. Listen, I could go all day on that song. Your music, it's like... When I hear art, the reason why I wanted you on, because uh, I don't like calling, because your voice, I know it's typical to say soulful, but when I hear your voice, when I hear tones and pitches like yours in terms of like that alto range, that, that um, and just hearing uh, what you did on the voice and all that stuff, I don't like calling it soul. I call it pure. It's like a pure, pureness with the tone and with that, I know you, you just answered like three, the two questions I have for you, but in terms of your music, what do you see in terms of like, do you plan on touring with that or creating a, a live experience with that? That's the only question I have in terms of that before I play the game with you. What, what do you see in terms of, okay, once you get uh, EP or LP drop, what's the vision in terms of that? Like create the whole body of work to tour off of. Is that the uh, goal after, I mean, as you, uh, maneuver through your acting and all that stuff. How, do, how does that fit in there? Um, as far as the full-length project, I'm not doing a full-length project uh, until someone else is helping me pay for it. I, okay. have, a, I have an EP out already, um, a project, mm -hmm. and it was a 
um, a hefty undertaking and I had like a small team and we pulled it across the finish line. And I have a live show with all of that music. And so for now it's, it's singles one by one. Like I want to start to like introduce the fullness of myself, like take my crown. I'm so glad. I'm so surprised by the reception of that song. I cannot believe it's, it. It's amazing. Oh my God. It's just, it's just, I, I feel like, yeah, it's just, it's just the, this, the, what records were like back in the day in terms of like, it was a simplistic, the melody it, it's melodic, it's catchy. And that's what makes superstars is they can be versatile with uh, ballads, up tempos, mid tempos. Like you have to capture that and it be able to uh, put that in front of a live audience or however you see it creatively to engage them, you know, and I can see that the majority of the work that you put out, I can actually pick, I mean, just the, the MD in me, I can picture that for a live audience and how that would sound like. And it's not just to certain audiences, it's people from the UK that love that music. Like it's international where you could draw a crowd, like not just a hole in the wall. I'm talking about like an actual theater tour. Like you can no, create something with that. Like I, it's so funny you say that. You, you, you tapped in because when I dropped my EP, like I got so much love from London. I was, I didn't know there's a whole underground soul scene in, in the UK. Yes. So That's the majority of my audience is UK white men. London, be, a lot of Caribbean people too. Like they, they mm -hmm. look for us. They look for our music, you know, and the yeah. internet radio thing is real. Um, but yeah, just like giving people, I don't know. I didn't think I was going to have to spoon feed it, but that's why I've just been like, I hadn't released the song since then. I'm like, let me see how people are, are digesting this because this is a, a very different side of me. Like the self-aware EP is an R&B soul record, you know, and it's mm. pretty like, well-rounded in terms of like the R&B sound. There's like a pop soul record. Like I have a yes. Them super yeah. woman, but still very black, you know. Yeah. Me is my song about weed, like yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> like leaning a lot more into the pop lane, like and yeah, rapping a lot more. My rap is not rap, hip hop rap. My rap is pop rap because it's personality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and like opening myself up to like, like I said, just opening myself up, thinking that people don't want to hear me rap, and they're mm -hmm. like, "Yo, this is cold," and I'm like. I mean, I thought it was too, but I didn't think you think you thought it was. But, you know, <laughs> right, right. So yes, I'm super excited. The crowdfunding campaign is up, and it's just for people to like be able to support the new mission. I have never done visuals because, like, mm -hmm. I just didn't know what I, how I wanted to see myself, and I just felt like the music video industry has changed so much. Like, I remember sitting up watching the channel, the box jukebox, and like like watching music videos all day long and that's not mm -hmm. really the time that we're in as much so i've really taken my time and that's why these visuals are going to be a lot more like authentic to me they're going to be comedic sometimes they're going to be beauty mm -hmm. they're going to have a lot more of my friends and colleagues who help me make these records um, and i'm really excited um i just got a new photographer videographer on the team i have the um overall like strategy social media art our artist create artistic director and creative directors like i have the pieces now like and it's been all this time trying to get the pieces together um mm -hmm. music coming together i have my last recording session on december 4th last one Ooh. for the year for mm. the next i guess technically it is an ep but i'm not releasing it as an ep it's four songs um right they're designed for commercial and ad, but also for me. So they're really exciting. They're really fun. Mm -hmm. 
um, high energy, but all very four different records. One mm -hmm. is old school classic disco, and I put a teaser of that the other day, and people seem to be, you know, rocking with Yeah, it. I love that. I was like, man, I can't wait to hear this full, I'm the so fullness excited. of that. Uh, Amber Luna Ray is coming to play live drums on that, and jo Joseph Cleveland Woo! is going to play live bass on that. I'm so excited. It's going to be killing. Um, I have another song called Chaos that's more like rock soul, and I'm in my rock band. <laughs> Um, I have another song called Energy, straight rapping, like spitting bars the entire time. And, and the hook okay. is just, I'm going to protect my energy. That's it. Like, that's okay. what that's about. And then another song, Congratulations. That's my, like, I like to call my cookout ballad. That's just, okay. you know, welcome to the life. Like, not Vesta Williams, is it the, the cover? Or no, just no, no. that's the name of the song? Okay. No, I was just talking. I wrote it. I wrote it. Okay. So okay. Okay. It's like the, uh, you know, I feel as though there's a lane that is open because a certain uh, a certain person we we all used to love is in prison now, but that cookout music lane is wide open. So I'm thinking I'm going to get me some. Go ahead, look it up. That's what that's what we need. Well, you talked about it earlier. Yeah. Overall, I want my music to be the soundtrack for the human experience. Mm. That is not relegated to the black human experience. That's exactly human experience. I want a little kid in the middle of, I don't know, Sri Lanka one day to mm -hmm. be listening to one of my songs and feel like it describes something about their life or makes them feel something. Um, right mm -hmm. now, my niece is like my biggest fan. She's been listening to the new music. She is so excited. She is so excited for y'all to hear it. She's like, when is it coming out? When are you doing a video? All this stuff. But like that makes me excited that she connects with the sound. She connects with the lyrics. She wants to hear it over and over again. She wants her friends to hear it. Like, that's what matters to me. And that's where I'm at now. Like, like you said, I really appreciate you saying soul is like genre. It's like all genres and no genre. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's where I'm at. Like, it's coming out from my soul right now. And sometimes my mm. soul feels like rapping. Sometimes she feels like hollering. Sometimes she feels like singing like emo ballad, you know, white girl ballad style. Like, but it's always going to be authentic. You're always going to feel something and you're always going to fuck with it. <laughs> right. I play this game with all the guests. It's called the What's Wrong With You game. Real quick, easy okay. game. It's kind of chaotic, mildly chaotic, because I just, you know, I make up the rules as I go. That's why it's chaotic. I just, oh, I just, I just keep playing this shit. This crazy game. But the first one is, uh, it's basically, well, let me explain the rules because the guests say I don't explain them properly and, you know, all that stuff. They say I'll be cheating. But uh, <laughs> basically, I just want you to name the, it's an either or game. And I just basically want you to pick who do you play more on your playlist. That's basically the game. Okay. Little, but, but yeah. Okay. Uh, the first one is Marvin Gaye or Teddy Pendergrass? Marvin Gaye. Okay. Next one OJ's or Whispers? I don't know their catalog enough to answer okay. that question. Maybe the oh, yeah? I probably have heard more whisper songs. Remember, I didn't grow up on Black American music. Oh, before. right, 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 right. I should have I should have got another list. I was got used from the Caribbean. I should have put like, uh, like I don't Shaggy. I should have worried about Shaggy or Shabarang. That's what I should have put on it. Patra or uh right. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Exactly. Oh um Rick James or Prince. Oh, that's hard. I mean it depends. If I'm trying to do drugs, Rick James. If I'm trying to drink, Prince. <laughs> I put them all I put them in the same category because I feel like they were the same level, multi instrumentalist, singer, songwriter. Yeah. It feels more 
it's cheesy to do MJ versus Prince. I'm so tired of that one. Other people on podcasts do that, but it's like it's better to do Rick James and Prince because that they're on the same level musically. But yeah, it, it just depends on what kind of journey, what kind of journey I'm trying to go on. If we're going on the trip, we're going with Rick. If we uh, you know, chilling, we're going with Prince. <laughs> <laughs> and those are all trick questions. Uh, either one you would have went with, it, you would got right. Now we're at the part of the game. Now, uh, it's kind of a roller coaster ride. This is part of the game. You got to get all these right, and you get a what's wrong with you. That's where the title of the game come in. It's kind of, kind of intense a little bit. It's not, not, not too crazy. I mostly feel in my stomach when y'all don't answer right, so it's no pressure. But the first one is uh, Michael Jackson specific. Well, you may, I don't know. It, I feel like Michael Jackson's off the wall or thriller. You should know off the wall or thriller. Oh, uh, it's it's gonna be thriller for me every time. I, I get why. It's gonna be thriller for me, yeah. Okay. Um, are you sure? Yeah. You're very sure. Okay. Okay. I'm just double checking. This clarification. No questioning. Yeah, this, this comes the up. Pig. I just need to. I have videos of this. This came up on the tour. This was a big like. It took every tour stop. This was like any new person. It was like, all right, off the wall, a thriller. It was like, damn, can we just eat? So, yeah. <laughs> right. This is why this came up. This game came up because musicians, when we all the tour buses, we ain't got shit but time. Just be uh, yelling at each other. Talking. I was yelling at my friend, like, do you play his iPhone? Do you know what a saxophone is? That's what Prince play. He's yeah. arguing back and forth talking to it at a Morris Day show. Do you but... even know what a saxophone is, though? Right. He plays that. Right. But, okay, you pick filler. Uh, you were supposed to pick off the wall. So, you did pick what I picked. And the rules of the game is. Uh, I make them up as I go, but one of the rules I made up. Okay, I'm gonna be nice. I'm gonna give you 20 seconds. Wait, no, I'm gonna make it 15 because I I feel like y'all. I feel like y'all. Sometimes I don't be believing y'all, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you 15 seconds to name me three songs from Thriller. Go ahead. Baby, be mine. Thriller, Pyt. Okay, you know what? I usually be petty. I was about to knock off negative 15 points because you didn't pick off the wall. I ain't going to be petty like that. I'm actually going to give you a bonus. I'm going to give you bonus. I'm going to give you bonus 50 because you picked Baby B-Bomb first because everybody be picking the... The reason why I picked Baby off the wall... Song. That's the cut from there. I was like, you said that first, so I got to give you a plus 50. Usually, I'll be, giving, I'll be being petty and give negative 15 points. You don't get what's wrong with you. On that one, because you named Baby Be Mine first, you get plus fifty. But well, I appreciate you saying that for you first one. That was kicked up. I say these are the Caucasian singles. This I feel like that is for the for the not for the males, because rather you know do corporate gigs, you know for the for uh, MLB. Those the songs they want to play is beat it, and don't nobody be don't nobody got that on their playlist. Be playing that. I don't think that's what I feel. That's for karaoke. I've sung I've sung Thriller at Halloween multiple times. White people love hearing Thriller at Halloween. Yes, that's my point. But do you be listening to that that crib though? That's my point. Do you got that on the playlist? Baby, be mine is my favorite Michael Jackson song. Thriller record. I believe that. I believe that. But the Thriller, I'm talking about Thriller and Beat It. I'm talking about the the Mayo singles. Do you be playing that? Okay. All right. I believe you. I believe you. You hear the slam. You gotta remember, I'm a personality kid. So okay, okay, that makes sense. Video, like it brings back so many points of nostalgia. It's not, it's not a skip for me. Like if I'm going letting Spotify play oldies, if it plays Thriller, 
I'm going to listen to it. And I want the extended version with the scary man and everything. <laughs> right. Listen, I believe you. Plus 50 on the thriller one. Okay, the next one. Miss Aretha Franklin or Miss Patty LaBelle. Aretha. You play more, you got more Aretha songs on your playlist than Patty. For sure. You do? Okay. Okay. So this ain't going well. I thought it was going to go. I thought she was going to pick Patty, but okay. Uh, That's who you're supposed to pick in that. Okay. But you didn't pick what I picked. And so, uh, like with the the Michael Jackson one, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna make it a little harder. Like I said, I make up the rules as I go. I just make this up as I go. You got 20 seconds to name me five Aretha songs. Go ahead. Okay, Natural Woman, Respect. I'm going easy on this. Natural Woman, Respect. Um, ain't no way. Um, the way that I I love you. I don't know if that's the right song. Uh, Never Love the Man. The way that I love you. Five seconds. Oh shit! Well, I might run out, child. Uh, I say a little prayer for you. <laughs> there we go. Okay, okay. You don't get a what's wrong with you on that one because you named five, but you do. Favorite, you don't get you. My favorite. You don't Patty get song, actually. Oh, my, my favorite Patty song is actually a cover she did of um, Shirley Horn's um, "Here's to Life." I'm okay. a deep cut girl. Okay, I'm not gonna give Me you. Too. If I have it. Able to stand on it and give you a very solid explanation as to why. And like, okay, Patty, I love I love Patty's voice, but when you like Aretha is a musician, instrumentalist. And you know what? I need to quit being petty on that. I said I was gonna stop being petty, but I just like being petty. You know, I'm Petty McGee for real. Petty That's Shabazz. Right, petty musician, I'm surprised you picked Petty. You know, and I said this I like the last podcast episode. I said when I played this game with uh the other guests that I actually listen to more Aretha because I have all her but I'm more of the albums. I don't really have her on my playlist. Like I gotta sit and listen to Aretha's like full like the album, not the the I don't really have her on my playlist. It may be like two or three playlists I have her on, but Majority, I have to listen to the whole album. That's just yeah. me. But yeah. I listen to way I I I, I, I have to admit I, I listen to more Aretha than Patty. But I'm petty, and it's just like I don't be believing y'all. And it's like I gotta I gotta be petty just one time. But I'm gonna give you you named it, so I'm gonna give you plus ten. I was gonna be petty again and give you negative five points for not picking Patty because I'm petty. But you know I ain't gonna be petty. I ain't gonna be petty this episode. Petty I'm gonna give you plus ten. You petty got you got. <laughs> Got the, you got uh 60 points. You you're doing good. Okay, next one. Babyface or Brian McKnight? Babyface, Brian McKnight is uh, I wish that he would not have told us that he's a shitty fucking guy. Okay? I wish that he had just let us believe that he was right. You know what's so crazy? I, in this being in the music industry for years. Now I've met him one time at a benefit concert and I didn't experience it. I just saw it from afar. They asked him. Sometimes they'd be polite to the artist and ask them to perform if they're not on the thing. And they just say, "Hey, can you just sing this little?" He's like, "Nah." And I saw it from a distance. But other people that have encountered him, they all have said, and it's more than ten people. It ain't just like two, three people. It's like multiple, like more than ten that told me, you know, he ain't really pleasant to be around so when this came out I was like not to form an opinion on you know the celebrity stuff or whatever but just from behind the scenes I could believe it 
that's a, that, that's a, I mean, no shade to you, but that comparison is crazy because Babyface's catalog. You should. Well, they're on the same. Well, in terms of like again with the Rick James and uh, uh, Prince, they're multi-instrumentalist singer-songwriter, so it felt more accurate. I could do Babyface or Ted Riley, Babyface or Raphael Sadiq, but I'm petty and kind of do that because people, most people, be picking ba uh, Brian McKnight. Hopefully, so. would have been a, a, a fair comparison, but yeah, Brian shouldn't even be on goddamn ballot. <laughs> I know with all this stuff going on, I probably need to change it to. See what your new wife that you only love. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I probably ain't gonna change it now. You said that do Raphael because <laughs> Teddy Teddy did was singing in the background on the Black Street Records and all that stuff. But I might put Raphael Sadiq in there. Well, I mean, I've been catching it all year, so I may have to switch that out. <laughs> yeah, because he did records for Total, and you know he wrote for Total. You know the same amount as. Uh, baby face, so that might be the move. Yes. Okay. Do okay. I next one. No, I picked the next one. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. SWV or Kate? SWV. Facts. That's what I'm talking about. Their 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 social problems. <laughs> oh man. Latasha, pay your sister her money back. Yo, I feel so bad because he putting out a, a Christmas album. They like that thirty thousand though. What we doing what about that? That's the Christmas gift. What I need from you is my. Yo, that is the craziest rollout for an album, a solo album, and Christmas album. That is the craziest rollout I've ever seen. She is very comfortable doing an A and B selection of who can I run to at anybody's church. That's kind of wild. You give up an escape bag for an A and B selection of who can I run to at church for back and track. Crazy. Who can I run to as a sermonic selection is wild. <laughs> yeah, she did it too. I was like, wow, this is wild. But all love and blessings to her. Hopefully they can work that out. But SWV all day. Listen, seven hit singles on one album. We ain't we ain't gotta sit here and, and play with these play with the trio. WV versus escape reality show. Like I watched who they are now and I my admiration and respect for the women in SWV grew even more. Like those yes. are seasoned. They Professional. They have beautiful families that they're very like, I don't know, to me, those look like, like how I was talking about the aunties, like those mm -hmm. are the women that I would love to have mentorship type relationships with. Yes. Like, oh. Coco per se, like the other two, mm -hmm. like really, really, like one of them, um, no, not Lily. Uh, Taj. You know, then Lily, I think, is the one that wrote the like sex novel. Yeah, Lily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she and did. Taj, like, I just love Taj's family, and I like. Yes. I love. It looks like she really loves being a mom, and like that. I love that. I love yeah. when it looks like people love both of their jobs. Like they love being yes. a wife and mother and and being there with their family, but they also love going on the road. And like mm -hmm. they had to leave both things. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like, oh, I can't wait to get off the road and go to my family every single time. It's like, I can't wait to go back to my family. But then when you at home too, like, all right, y'all, I'm leaving tomorrow. Love you. I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you. But then when you in the car, you're like, we outside. You know, like, right. I love that about those women. And not to mention the music. The music is timeless. Yes. Um, week is timeless. And like the work that they've done over the years is enough for them when they all close their eyes and sleep like they have legacies so yes I, absolutely they don't either like they do too like but if we're talking about preference um yeah uh, but if you're talking about whose songs i play more no you know so, yeah, yeah, yeah 
Because escape to me, like, I don't, I only remember, like, kick off your shoes and relax your Yeah, feet. just kicking it. And then what was the other big song that they had? <laughs> Um, who can I run to? Who can I run to? Who can I run to? Understanding, but them all ballads though. They only they don't really have a one of tempo, and it was that one song. Uh, damn, I forgot the name of the damn song, but it was their first single, I think. But I just, it's it, a, it, or no, it's the second one. It's uh, up there, something to be loved. So I forgot the name of that song. I don't even know that joint. Like it's an up tempo, but yeah. You could throw into the mix too. That would have been you would have stumped me. SWV versus um, oh my god, why were their names just what's in both? Yes, in both. Now that, but they got well, yeah. They, I feel like they SWV. I feel like uh, uh, escape. Well, I guess I could do that. I could do that, but it was just for the verses. It was just like a big thing. And there's such a split thing on the internet. And I was like, I thought this was a clear win for SWV, but clearly, you know, people, you know, gotta get the sugar daddy out the ear because I, I don't understand also, that. But like, yeah. the thing with verses is there was no no criteria. You know, it's right. all based on what people think. So it's like, well, the original criteria with, with Teddy Riley and Babyface and them was like who had more hits, like whose songs. Yeah. I think it was more like who came out at the same time that I think they, they were dominating at the same time. I, I would see, because I think uh, Invo came out 1990 and it was kind of a two year gap. Uh, Escape came out like a year after SWV. So I guess the hip hop and R&B, I think that was more of the focus for Escape. Invo, they played with hip hop a little bit, but like you said, with the what's it going to be was more rock yeah, oriented. Were, and so it was, oh, it was a lot more versatile. Yeah. They teeter over here in the hip hop and do like like we're here to sing you down under the motherfucking table and that's what's going yeah on. that part right I feel like they are the most to me they're who you could track Destiny's Child to and yeah like if and Vogue had continued like that's exactly like Destiny's Destiny's Child stood on their shoulders and yes Vogue, absolutely up until then if you really think about it these girl groups like it was always one person who could really sing and mm -hmm. the other holding it down. And like yeah. Destiny's Child, like the last iteration had three women who in their own rights, you could say whatever you want about Michelle or Kelly, but like those women can sing. Mm -hmm. They have their yes. own voices. They have hits on their own too. Like, I feel like that's who In Vogue could have been, you know, and not to mm -hmm. say that it happened, but like they were the predecessors to me. Yeah, there's a lot of ego. There's a lot of ego involved with uh, their change up because um, their lineup changed when uh, Rhonda came. They were going through a little turmoil and Don was trying to be a solo artist that didn't really work out, you know, midway through. She came back and then left again. It's a lot of that, but uh, pick that WB. Next one, I'm trying to trying to steamroll it. Uh, Boys to Men or Jodeci? Boys to Men. Boys to Men, you're positive. You're you're picking. You got more songs than Jodeci, just to clarify. Yeah, I only know honestly. I wasn't a Jodeci fan. I only knew Casey and JoJo, and okay. I don't think they were. I think Jodeci's older, aren't they? Um, uh, not. I don't think so. Maybe a few years older. Not. I have to. I have to Google their age. They they came. Um, uh, Jodeci ninety one, and Boys the Men was I think ninety one too. They both came out at the same time. I think either ninety or ninety one, but they both came out at the same time. But okay, you pick Boys the Men. Born in '89, so you're okay. asking me questions about groups that 
Hey, yeah. same thing, same age range, and I grew up on Jodeci. But I get you. I get what you're saying, though. Okay. So I don't know if like the the proximity to Philly like has something. Yeah, to it may be a suburban. It may be a suburban. Yeah, it may be a thing because it's like I feel like boys and men. If you grew up like in suburban parts, it was like that. And then if you yeah, they were buttoned up. They were, if like, you were who were adjacent, then you go more with <laughs> with Jodeci. You know what? That's exactly what it is. I was. Kid. So Jodeci was too raunchy. They were like, yeah, it was raunchy. I was, I was a wild kid. So that the nastier the song, the better for me. I was, I was playing Prince Erotic City in church. I was playing it on the organ. So that's my background. I'm proud of that. I, I tell it all the time. I was playing anything too short, anything that was salacious with lyrics. Adina Howard, listen, oh, yeah. horny for your love. I was playing that during altar call. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, playing Horny for Your Love during altar calls. Uh, Scandalous Prince. I was playing that during altar calls. Fond memories of church. I love it. But <laughs> you pick Boys and Men. Okay, 15 seconds. Name me three Boys and Men songs. I Make Love to You. Um, on Bended Knee. Water Runs Dry. Okay. Motown Phillies back. Like, I, I went to see Boys to Men at the House of Blues, like, my last year in college. And my friends were like, we do not understand why you were so excited about this. Like, they were just, <laughs> <laughs> I deeply know their catalog. Also, very disappointed to hear that they were assholes. Oh, yeah. Heard very that a lot, too. To that. Yeah. To hopefully they've grown out of it. I don't know. Hopefully, they hopefully so. They got thrown out of it. That's exactly it. it right. So much of these sob stories make so much more sense now. It's like, no, yeah. y'all, it's because y'all weren't humble. You didn't think that anybody could come in and replace you. And they right white boy bands to come in and be you and have that's exactly what happened right it happened literally just like that mm -hmm. they were like we're gonna make carbon copies of, <laughs> of yeah, boys and men because knowing y'all were assholes and treating especially black women like shit nah fuck mm -hmm. you that's why you never place and look at justin timberlake and how he's just soared for years and years and years on yeah own. oh for sure oh man that's a whole that's a whole thing right there what you talking never about ending, never ending story that's all the way to to what? <laughs> okay, uh, we're in the, the bonus round now. Uh, uh, I'm gonna switch it up. Debut album versus sophomore album. Who you going with? Faith Evans or Mary J. Blige? <laughs> Faith Evans every time. Oh my God! You get a plus thousand points right there. That's what I'm talking about. No hesitation. And most people pick Mary. I was like, get the underdog, okay? You pick the underdog just one time. There's one time, no pick underdog. That a seasoned vocalist will pick Mary J. Blige over Faith Evans in any. I guess if you're a fan, if you're like like with, uh, I, I love every Mary. I love. <laughs> if you are right. a seasoned vocalist, it's it's like Brandy and Monica. We oh, don't yeah. in that conversation with commoners. <laughs> yeah. I'll be wanting the, the, the debut album, Faith, and then I give Mary the sophomore. That's how I play that because I feel like, you know, Mary rocks more with the sophomore album than Mary ushered in, you know, hip hop RB, Uptown, you know, with, uh, you know, the queen of hip hop soul, but she didn't really get her real art, rhythm, and blues until I think to the sophomore album. But Faith's debut. When I tell you, unskippable album. I don't skip no songs on that album. Gospel R&B to me. Shout out to my friend Tucker Thompson. Created Magic with Big Bug. Listen, good times. But it is much here. Yes. 
Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, last one. I, you know, I'm gonna throw this fun one in there. Just, just a throwaway one. Tweet or, <laughs> or Chauncey. <laughs> I want. <laughs> yeah, you ain't Yo, but people be picking you. You think I would say that, but people be picking the other one. I'm just saying. Oh, motherfucking way! <laughs> <laughs> I said it's a fun one. That one I just throw in there for fun, just for giggles, for me, because it's funny. And listen, if I ever red carpet, I'm sorry that that laugh was so obnoxious. That laugh was not at all meant as a man. Girl, be fucking for real. Tweet. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I, I was going to think about doing Keisha Cole Shanti, but I don't really care for either one like that. No disrespect, you know. Great. I love your songs. Just yeah, to be clear, but, I know. love Ashanti's songs. Oh, yeah, for sure. Ashanti and um, Keisha Cole's songs a lot more now that I've, like, had my heart broken. Like, I've had some hood love. Yeah. So, like, Keisha Cole resonates with me a lot differently now. Like, that uh, <laughs> uh I used to think that I wasn't. Well, I used to. Oh hate my god! Oh, this song sound like a kid. Like it's so basic, but it's like when you've been in some hood love, some basic ass, just so <laughs> feel, and, and it might not sound a little good. Might be a little underpitched because your feelings is hurt. It's yeah. Job on the right day. <laughs> Shout out to her. I know. I know. Uh, the unmasked singer, she on there. Like she, her voice is a clear giveaway. Yeah, she's on there. Oh, I seen a little clip. <laughs> yeah, they they like, oh, that's Brandy. What are you? What are y'all talking about? What do y'all be listening to? Robin Thicke. I need him in the prayer circle because I need. I cannot wait till they pick me to be a judge on shows like that because yes, I'm gonna be eating my panelists up like. I just say that. <laughs> they be throwing out any black R and B singer. They're like Tony Braxton, even though she been, she been on there already. <laughs> I was so floored that they did not notice that. I'm like, I clearly heard Amber Riley, clearly heard right. Kimi Burris, clearly heard Michelle Williams. I'm like, even with the auto tune, y'all just don't listen to black people. That's right. What I'm telling, like when I did the voice. When we sang Hard Place as our battle song, both mm -hmm. Kelly Clarkson wrote the song down. She was like, I never heard this song, but I love this song. And Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani. And I'm like, that's when I was like, oh, I'm screwed. I'm literally <laughs> singing R&B music to a panel of four people where 75% of this panel doesn't hear this music. Right. So let's sit here and have a good time. Okay, ladies? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, tweet. You pick tweet. Bonus, like I said, bonus round. Okay, just the third. You said Monica and Brandy already. Who you picking? Mm -hmm. I'm just, just, just Brandy. Okay. No further, okay. No further details. No further. Yo, I got to throw this joke out here, Monica. When that verses happened, when I'm, I'm childish. When because they were playing broke after they played Broken Hearted, Monica was like, "That's my favorite song of yours." And Brandy made a face. She's like, "Why you make that face?" And she's like, no, because you know, I was going through that weird vocal change at the time when I made that song. And she was like, and I know she wasn't saying this to be funny, but it's funny to me. She was like, you know, because your voice has always been strong. It's the way she said always made me fucking laugh. Because all I thought, because Monica's first album sounded like she came straight out of Hezekiah Walker's car. It's, it's like all those 90s notes <laughs> that nobody sings was, anymore. She was 14 when she recorded. Yeah, 14. That's not fair because Brandy is like prodigy level singer. You know what I mean? So yeah. like Brandy's 14 is not normal 14. 
Beyonce yeah. 14 was not normal 14. My 14, Erica Tina Campbell, like certain people 14 yeah. is not normal. Like some of the rest of the singers need 17 to start sounding like, you know, something. Right. It's very, very much giving. I just got in the church choir and my dad is the best. <laughs> all them old, oh my God, all, like this and like that. She was 14 when she did that. I was like, damn, Monica had bold ginger ale vocals at 14. That's crazy. But we <laughs> at the end of the so, the uh, what's wrong with you game. And I have determined that there's nothing wrong with Miss Tamara J. You won the game. You won the game. A little, little shaky up and through there, but you know, that's how it goes sometimes. It never goes perfect, but you, you, you win, you won the game. And on this podcast, I always try to do something special for all the guests. All the guests, they, they leave with a prize. And so, uh, for, for get, great, great guests, I love giving great prizes. So I'll be sure to cash up you $2. Wait, no, I'm going to go up in the thing. $4.92. So you can go to any local convenience store, get you a drink, get you a Snapple and some Pringles, or Maybe <laughs> or use Coca-Cola some and some Pringles. Pringles, whatever. Yeah. Maybe I'll use it to invest in some Teddy Pendergrass and the Whispers and catch up on the music I missed in my childhood. Right. We get you, get, get you a little love benevolent offering before you... <laughs> Please I'm send me the clip of that tweet, tweet versus Ashanti question, because I have to put, I have to put just that clip up on... I did not mean to laugh like that. I really didn't. So, <laughs> I'm going to send it to you. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Listen, uh, your career, just watching it and what's about to happen, all the things that you want to happen, I feel like it's going to happen because I feel like artists like you, they, uh, in all around entertainment, I say it all the time, like the the Anita Bakers, the the Sade's, those ones, I feel like they, I, I call it a soul imprint. And I feel like that's the kind of work you do is soul imprint. And so I appreciate your gifts. Your gifts are amazing. I love your, when you were on whatever, whatever you do, I'm supporting it a thousand percent. That's what we do on this podcast is support great artists, the campaign. I'm, I'm champion. I, I need to, I need to get on that. I need to, I should have, I should have got on that beforehand, but I'm going to do that soon as that. campaign, actually. Right. No, we're going we're gonna to hook you up, but I appreciate you coming on here and just, just sharing everything, and hopefully the, the, the listeners really pay attention to this episode, because you were dropping serious gems in terms of, cause, because people don't understand, like, they want to do music full-time, something, people say you got to be a little crazy to want to do this for a living, and it's just like, it's just that, that unwiltered thing to where you just you got to see the forest from the trees it's, it's more of that concept and it's, you're, you're putting out great music I say all the time it's there if you look for it I think people like to for the past damn 10 years people like where's the good music and where's good R&B at it's like it's there like we ain't writing album reviews just for you to keep saying this shit every fucking five months on Twitter I'm tired of it <laughs> it's like Miss Tamara Day she got a new project coming out she got to listen uh, let them know where they can find you on social media so they can keep up with everything you got going on. Yes, Tamara Jade Music on all platforms. My name is T-A-M-A-R-A-J-A-D-E Music on all platforms. My website is TamaraJadeMusic.com. If you'd like to support the GoFundMe, it is GoFundMe.com slash Tamara Jade Music. Okay, we are considering mm -hmm. branding over here. YouTube.com slash Tamara Jade Music. Um, I am launching a subscription group um, I'm, I think I'm going to stick with Patreon. I've been trying to do my research on like which ones are the yeah. best. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I think I'm going to stick with Patreon where we will have more discussions like this. I want to have a monthly call where we can talk about all things music business, all things entertainment business. You can ask me whatever you want. In addition, in addition to that, that is where I will start to do my referrals from. People ask me all the time for singers, for musicians. When my artist friends are coming into the D.C. area or into New York, they're looking for guitar players. They're looking for keyboard players. When I'm doing gigs sometimes or the gigs, like I said, I no no longer really do backgrounds, but I still Mm -hmm. get calls for recommendations. That's the group that I'm going to be referring people Mm -hmm. to. Not just referring people anymore because I know your name. You can be vetted. And I know that when you're part of that community, you have the same mindset. You have the same level of professionalism that when you're going into this, you know how to conduct yourself. You know how to, you know how to block your time and be on time and, and mind your business. <laughs> um, and then the music business, the business of all of this, understanding, like I was explaining, those strategic moves, those calculated risks that you have to take sometimes that may cause some dips in your finances, but don't have to wipe you out if you are strategic and if you are working. Residuals. I just went to LA Auto Show today and saw the um, Toyota's first ever electric car, the BZ4X. And I was able to be like, look at the car and like, I sung the ad for that commercial, the the radio ad for that. And when I say I got paid, the the residuals alone were over $10,000. And so that's what I'm talking about in terms of diversifying and like, that's what I'm going to be pivoting to over on my Patreon community to do more of this type of talking. So please follow me, donate to the GoFundMe so we can get these visuals Mm -hmm. out. They're going to be amazing. We've already started working on treatments. I'm so excited just for all the things and to just be myself, honey. I'm here in LA now. I came here to be myself. So I'm here. I'm planted. And we outside. What's up? Right. Listen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I feel like you're musically liberated, like you're liberated in all the things that you're creating. And you got to, I feel like for you to be liberated, you got to live life. You know, yes. got to live to, to be liberated. But thank you so much, Miss Tamara Listen, make sure we're going to have all the, everything that she just said, we're going to have it in the description on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you so much for tuning in to Soul Savage Podcast. This is your first time listening in. I'm your, I'm your, uh, your host. Uh, Q Lynn and uh, I'm gonna quit treating y'all like a absentee parent and show up sometimes on the weekends or <laughs> craziness. But thank you so much for coming on. She dropped serious gems. Make sure y'all y'all follow on all her social media and it's Soul Savage Podcast. We out, y'all. Whether you need to be comforted, soothed, or relaxed, Soul Savviness got you the ultimate getaway. You are listening to the Sounds of Soul Savviness podcast, where we are sure to put your mind, body, and soul at ease.